Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Rumors. Uh, we got it all today. Chris Ballard's going to be speaking with the media. Anthony Richardson as well. Busy, busy, busy here on this Thursday. Hanging out with you on the fan. Broadcasting live as always from the drivehubler.com studios. He's Kevin Bowen. I'm Andy Sweeney. Mark Dykton producing today's effort. Kevin Mark, a, a good morning to you. A busy, busy day nationally and some good juicy local stories as well. And a much better hoops morning to chat about the local action here it was a much different looking Pacers win that probably is going to be necessary here over the next couple of weeks a little bit more slugfest a little bit ugly I think it's fair to say especially early on and what's this 112 104 right what is this that's that's the end of the third quarter what are we doing yeah getting back to the Jermaine (laughs) O'Neal days of you know Pacers Pistons lore uh and then Butler late last night we talked about it it yesterday at some point this year Andy if they're going to be in any any sort of March debate, you got to get one of these. Well, they and got one. They got a big one. Yes, Marquette is a tough place to play. It is one of the toughest places in all of college basketball. Uh, Butler ends the second longest home win streak in the land. That was Marquette at 19 games, 20 straight Big East home wins for Marquette as well. A great second half, uh, 41-27 after halftime by the Bulldogs. Typical balance from them, and Thad Mata's year two continues to be on a nice trend. Again, they had lost three straight coming into this. Really nice non-conference. Uh, won their first Big East game. You know, Blew a great opportunity at Providence. Blew, a, I, I think, a good opportunity mm-hmm. against UConn Friday night at Hinkle. Uh, but very, very important for the Butler Bulldogs there last night as they tried to continue to to create a bit of a March resume. Well, I mean, of course, Butler was able to score 41 points. Shaka Smart had to stay on the sideline. He, he, could, he, <laughs> couldn't go, yeah, he couldn't go out there and play defense like he did. But Butler played defense. I, yeah, I mean, I think Butler was going to win that game. I told you, I thought it would be four straight in the Big East, and, you know, they might be an NIT team. A good year, a better year, but, you know, obviously not last year, but a huge win for them. And then the Pacers win last night, and, you know, I, I mean, we knew that they – uh, where a deep team are a deep team, and you look at it with, what, seven guys scoring in double figures, and then Jordan War off the bench with nine points. Feels like it's been a month and a half since I've seen him play. And, you know, that that win, listen, it, it was big. Everyone knows. I think we all are in understanding here that the Pacers are going to take some losses, right? They're going to take some losses without Tyrese Halliburton if he's out two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. They're going to take some losses, and there will be games where we come in here the next day and we say with Halliburton they would have done this they would have won this game they would have played differently in this way in the fourth quarter they didn't have a closer all the different things that he does that we'll talk about but in the in the in the, in the small picture uh, in the small picture looking at just you know today in the next few days you know, winning this game before you hit this road trip was so vital. It really was to beat a team that's not very good, but had beat you in Washington and they take care of business. I'm probably being a little selfish here. I want them to be able 
to beat Atlanta on Friday. Uh, if they had Halliburton, I would fully expect them to beat Atlanta on Friday. So that might be asking for too much. But as things get going here without Tyrese, you needed you needed to get kind of the easy win. I hate to say it, the free spot on the bingo card, if sure. you will. Yeah. And they got that last night, and they needed it. And they played well for the most part, especially in that third quarter. Want to single out the individual performances of TJ McConnell, Jordan Wara, who I think deserves. It's hard to find him minutes, but man, I, he deserves it. I mean, he can be a scorer for off the bench for a legit team in the NBA. And Isaiah Jackson continues his nice start to the season. Um, as we continue on the Nick Saban, Pete Carroll front, <laughs> uh, we don't often get news breaking at seven oh three in the morning here, but. Uh, what do they say? It comes in threes. Is that right? Okay. What Is do we have saying? Yeah. What do we got? Give it to me. Uh, I'm looking at it from ESPN's wow. Mike Reese and Adam Schefter, Bill Belichick and the Patriots expected to part ways today after 24 seasons together. So in the last 24 hours, Andy Sweeney, you've had Pete Carroll. I don't, Think necessarily wanted to call it quits? Well, probably not. No, that's the vibe I kind of got. They, they've been a little off. stale the last sure, couple of years, sure. but I don't think I think that was kind of a Pete. Would you like to call it quits? One of those things from Seattle. <laughs> you, and, you, you sure you don't want someone else to be the head coach? Uh, it sounds like an outright resign from Nick Saban in Alabama, of course, and then obviously Bill Belichick. This sounds like uh, I guess a mutual parting of ways between Robert Kraft and him. So. Uh, wow. Uh, talk about the trifecta. I think, Andy, my first thought in my lifetime, and I don't play the Mount Rushmore game often. I mean, aren't those three on the Mount Rushmore? Oh, there, there's absolutely no doubt about it. Actually, I feel bad for Pete Carroll kind of being overshadowed right. here by Bill Belichick and I Nick mean, Carroll, Saban. An unbelievable I mean, run. Carroll's great. No, College with, and the NFL. Oh, with what he did at USC was revolutionary. What was it not? Sorry. The Bush push. I, I know there are what a the couple hell? games. Go there? Well, there are a couple games. Isn't that the game that you think yeah. of? You don't think about Marshawn Lynch no, and Malcolm no, Butler? No, Come on no. now. I think of I think of the Texas game and I think of the uh, the push there by one Reggie Bush. Of course, now that's you know running backs can do that the tush push. Now it's fine, like that plays fine at all. Uh, back then it wasn't, but you know who lasted through all the smoke? Mark Dighton's Eberflus. Yeah, he lasts. Don't worry when everyone else is falling around him. Uh, but no, I mean listen, it's uh I what's the time was it like five thirty last night when the Saban news came out? Something like that. It was in yeah. the I mean it was uh-huh. in the five o'clock hour towards the end of JMV and I just remember thinking like Nick like I like Nick Saban I love Nick Saban I, I'm not one of those Saban haters so I was like legit like I was like damn Nick Saban's gone man I mean you feel like you know my entire life he's been out there where you're watching especially I know he had the Dolphins but college football and like that job who 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 the bleep takes that job? Like who are they going to hire? You would imagine. I don't think that's a foolproof. You just walk in there and all of a sudden rose petals at your feet and it's going to be well, look, look easy. Look at before Saban. No, I listen. They were I'm in a totally bad with spot. You. Like I, I feel like people forget Mike Shula, Dennis Franchione, oh, sure. Mike Price. Like it was not good. No, at Alabama uh, before Saban got there. The Saban stat that stood out to me yesterday, Andy. 109 weeks Saban coach teams spent number one in the land. 109 weeks atop the college football polls. That is more than any other college football program. Right. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I mean, think about that. 
one individual. And that kind of gets into the Brady. Remember the Brady of you know, Tom Brady, and I guess Belichick qualifies as this as well. You know, Brady and Belichick have won this many playoff games. That's more than like, you know, 29 of the 32 NFL franchises when you just look at those guys individually. Um, so, yeah, I, it, wow. Um, again, Bill Belichick sounds like a mutual parting of ways. ESPN reporting that early this morning. Um, a name, the first name that popped in my mind <laughs> last night. For the night Patriots or for, I, the, well, or for Saban? Or for with, both? When I saw the Saban, I kind of I kind of got a juicy thought, okay? Okay, let's hear it. Ryan Day to Alabama, Mike Vrabel to Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, I always think these NFL coaches, how many of them are going to want to go to college and, and kind of like, deal wait, with... And isn't Vrabel going to New England? Yeah, well, I mean, don't you have to think yeah. it was going to be the case? I mean, you have to think that was going to be Do you the have case. a name for Bama? I, I I don't have a name for Bama. Like, for, for years, it had been, sorry, Jake Query, not that Jake's awake right now at, you know, what, what is it, 7.08 a.m., but it had been Dabo Sweeney, right? That was the connection. Dabo's was, walking up the 17th yeah, hole. Well, I, I listen, I'm with you. If he's not on 17, he's at least on 15 or 16. I mean, Clemson never went into the portal. He has balked at NIL, and that's not going to work. So it's not going to be it's not going to be Dabo, right? It's not going to be him. I mean, a guy that I like, but I don't know if he's big enough for it, is Mike Norvell at Florida State. Uh, you saw Florida State be exposed. They hate being in the ACC. They're not getting out of, in my estimation, Kevin, they're not getting out of the SEC. So they're going to be in the ACC. His buyout is only four mil, uh, which is very doable. Not that money will matter if they want the landing guy from Oregon. They'll go pay the twenty, you know, the twenty mil. That's not the, you know, that's not going to be a big deal. But yeah, man, I feel like a part of my. Football watching growing up with Nick Saban is absolutely uh, out the door. At times, you know, much like Belichick, he could not publicly have fun. But uh, I think Saban's been nothing but great for college football. Didn't work in the NFL for a myriad of reasons. And then Belichick, I I mean, let me ask you guys. Do you hate Belichick? I mean, this area, if you're driving into work right now, I mean, you're a Colts fan. Yeah, Belichick and Brady, they had they had everything that you and everybody else in the NFL wanted, but yeah, specifically mean, the Colts versus the Manning versus Brady, Belichick versus, you know, fill in the blank of uh, of the Colts head coach at the time. Uh, it was one of the top feuds slash rival- rivalries in the NFL, was yeah, it this not? This one of the darkest days in Boston sports history. Belichick's pretty easy to hate, right? <laughs> Yeah, he's always scowling on the sideline and never offered you much in press conferences. I'd or love anything to like see that. him. You know, maybe. Do you think he actually cut up the sweatshirts? Or do you think the equipment staff? <laughs> oh did no, that he for had him? somebody cut up the sweatshirts. I, I think he cut the sweatshirts initially, and then he brought some young man in and said, "This is how the you iconic know, Scott. This is how you do it." Iconic yeah, Belichick gif of leaving the tunnel at the Lions game and you know not high fiving anyone coming no, out of the field. I, I love there. Belichick's petty. Like when they did the two Bills, he oh. wouldn't do anything with the Jets. I just love it. Our Fantastic. out of him. But yeah, I mean, in this market, obviously he's hated. Yeah, I mean, no one again jumps off the page for Bama. You know, you were trying to go through the Rolodex last night, at least for me. Okay, what about the Belichick, or excuse me, what about the Saban tree? Because I assume Saban's going to have some say in this, right? You would think so, but like Kirby Smart's at Georgia right now. Right, and, yeah, and I'm going, going there. to like the pass offensive coordinators. I'm like, Bill O'Brien? Ugh. Lane Kiffin? Yeah, I... I don't. I don't know if Lane gets the keys. If to you're Alabama. Sarkeesian, I say this <laughs> Lane in all Kiffin seriousness. Get out of his contract that's three weeks old. <laughs> why would Sarkeesian leave Texas? Like I don't think Alabama. You. If I'm Kirby Smart, hell, if I'm Dan Lanning, if I am 
Steve Sarkeesian, I don't know if that's something that you just sit there and say, Bama's a no-brainer to me. I don't want to be the guy that follows him. Okay, well, because if gonna, you go 10 wins, yeah, I know. Look, look at Saban's run. Saban didn't even win 10 games, Andy. It was 11, no, it was 12, 11 13, 12, 14 right. every damn year. If you win 10 in a loaded SEC moving forward, they're going to run you out of there. So, um, boy, yeah, no one is... Obvious. Um, yeah, curious what you know this does for Tommy Reese, and that's just me more from a Notre Dame fandom <laughs> what does standpoint. This, what does it? Let's send out the feelers. I know to Shane Steichen was. What a, does this do to Tommy Reese? Shane Steichen was very high on Tommy Reese, <laughs> and so I'm always kind of curious. Can he coach it, defense? If that marriage would ever happen down the road, if Jim Bob Cooter moved on, but um, yeah, certainly uh, just massive in the sports world from a national landscape. Uh, Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick. Nick Saban in a 24-hour period, and I guess Saban's the only one to really do this on his own terms? I mean, I guess to, yeah, well, I, I, think, I think that's probably the case. I mean, I don't know, Belichick, it's one of those things where Belichick is going to have one more run at it here with somebody. Pete Carroll is not, and Nick Saban is hanging it up. I mean, Belichick is going to be on the sidelines next year, whether that is somewhere, you know, L.A. with the Chargers, the Raiders, the Washington Commanders come to mind. Like, he's going to have another run at it. Uh, Belichick just became his own worst enemy, where he thought he could fill a team, you know, with with kind of average players at the end and then not have the upper echelon guys like Tom. I'm Brady, and the whole reason you could have some of those middling guys is because you had some great players uh, on the other end. As for following the guy at Saban, I don't disagree with that. I understand what you're saying. I just don't know how much those other guys who are coaches slash competitors feel that way. Does that make sense? And, and and I don't know. Like Dan Lanning was a GA at Alabama. You know, being at Georgia, he does have some of the SEC chops, so he's not like a West Coast guy that doesn't play the style of football that they play in the SEC. I just don't know how much the other coaches look and say, man, I can win 10 games and that's not going to be good enough. Someone had a tweet, I meant to retweet it, that they were looking in the future and smiling at the next Alabama coach uh, being doused in mayo at the Duke's Mayo Bowl after beating a 7-5 and Virginia Tech team. <laughs> Gosh, that's a sight to behold. I, I just don't think, too. Oh, it, man. It's, it's maybe not even... I think replacing Saban is part of it, Andy. But I also think if you're Kirby Smart of Georgia, if you're Dan Lanning of Oregon... Dabo to me, I, I don't want to discuss Dabo. Sarkeesian at Texas, I don't think those current situations are that far off from what you could do at Alabama. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Well, Texas is in the SEC next year. I mean, you'll be facing and, off against and, and, Alabama. NIL has changed some of that, but still, I just don't look at, you know, yes, Bama has a, a nice recruiting footprint, but it's not whatever Miami, where if you drew a circle 20 miles around right. the campus, you're getting, you know, this percentage of Division One players there. So, wow. Um, what, what what if Brian Kelly had not left for LSU? Oh, he'd be high on the list, Do, right? I mean, he'd be a guy that we'd be talking about. I Should mean, we I, talk about Deion Sanders to Bama? No. Should we talk Urban Meyer to Bama? <laughs> oh, I would love that. Can Bama do something crazy? Oh, I would love that. They they already know who they're going to hire, right? Like, they already know. They're just waiting. Ah, we'll announce it tomorrow morning. We'll announce it Saturday morning. Or Friday morning. Good God, I wish today was Friday. I mean, they already know who they're going to hire, right? This wasn't something where where uh, Saban walks in and didn't they add, that, tells everybody the about it yesterday here. that Saban was interviewing candidates to be assistants on his staff. 
Well, he was, well, you might be right. He was uh, on. Miss Sherry not have the oatmeal cream pies or <laughs> Miss Terry? Is it Sherry or Terry? I think Sherry's Coach Venturi's wife, now that I think about it. I think it's Terry, I believe, is Mrs. Saban. I think it is Terry. I don't know, man. What a day, though, yesterday. What a day, right. And we've added, of course, you know, from a Black Monday bleeding into the rest of the week standpoint here in the NFL, the openings continue around the league. Uh, So add Patriots to that. So right now in the NFL, you have Titans, Chargers, Raiders, Commanders, Panthers, Falcons, Seahawks, Patriots. It seems like every year we're like, man, I only see four or five, and then we just get to eight. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, you're going to get to seven or eight. There's always a surprise one or two. Seattle is seen as a surprise. We're at re- we're at eight right now, and it all- doesn't always seem like there's one playoff team. Oh, it- yeah. I mean, look at, I uh, almost said Mike Holmgren. Mike McCarthy would probably fit that mold if they fizzle out in Green Bay. The Steelers man, get waxed. Love. What, if the, what if the Steelers get waxed? There's been some, hey, Mike Tomlin, if he uh, if he walked away and did TV for a couple years, Mike Tomlin would be fantastic at TV. So eight openings right now in the NFL, and obviously a huge one in college football. Plenty, plenty to go over on today's version of the wake-up call here with KB and Andy. Again, the Pacers win. Not the prettiest-looking thing in the world, but right now without Tyrese Halliburton, who cares about mm-hmm. the looks? It's just about getting a W and survive. They do that last night. Uh, and now it is on the road for a long road trip. Sounds like Tyrese Halliburton will travel on the road and get work on his hamstring there with their team doctors and specialists. Anthony Richardson, he will meet the media coming up at 11. Chris Ballard at 12.30. That'll put a bow tie on the end-of-season, end-of-year pressers for the Colts here. So certainly a lot of news items uh, probably trickling out from the Ballard presser more than anything. Uh, we'll hit on that today as well. Good Thursday morning to you. Thank you for spending it with us. And before we hit a break here, I think we should reward our listeners here in the opening segment of the show. Uh, Butler, Seton Hall coming up this weekend. Butler, big win last night. Let's give away a four-pack to Butler, Seton Hall Saturday afternoon at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Andy Sweeney, the leading scores last night for Butler. They had two of them tied. Yes, they did. Two of them tied atop the score sheet. Give us a call, 317-239-1070. Mark Dykton will field those offline. Four packet tickets to Butler, Seton Hall. Their two leading scores from last night. Who were they? Uh, we'll give away those tickets offline. Wake up call, KB and Andy, 93.5, 1075. 107.5, The Fan. All right, your morning check down. couple different reminders. Scott Agnes is going to be joining us coming up at 830. We'll talk some Pacers with him. Uh, Anthony Richardson has a press conference at 11 o'clock. So I'm sure on all the afternoon shows, Queering Company, JMV, then us tomorrow morning, you'll hear a lot of that sound. And then Chris Ballard today at 1230. Uh, and I would expect 30, 40, 45 minutes, an hour of Chris Ballard. So Richardson, Ballard today. And again, reminder, we'll have Scott Agnes coming up at 830. Boy, tons to get to. We'll get back to the coaching carousel here in just a second. But last night, a good night for the Pacers. First game without Tyrese Halliburton. 1-12-104 winners. Pacers improved to 22-15 and on the season. Post game, here's head coach Rick Carlisle. Uh, it was one of our best games just in, in terms of a, of a sustained level of force. And they still... You know, we're making runs, and, and this thing was still a dogfight. So all these games are going to be tough. The third quarter was a difference. We came out of the locker room. You know, Bruce got us going. You know, from there, we were able to finish. But, you know, these guys, you get a lead on them. 
they put a bazillion points up very quickly. You know, we got up 17, then it was down to eight. You know, it's just uh, that's how teams are going to come at you. Seven players in double figures. Pacers off to Atlanta tomorrow night. Andy, it wasn't pretty early. The first possession, no one wanted it. All of a sudden, the grenade ends up in Turner's hand. It's like one of those, you know, weird shot clock situations here. I'm like, oh boy. Uh, and they, I think they had seven points at the midway point of the first quarter. Maybe it was nine. A very, very low number. Third quarter, though, really kind of sparked things. And then they played in control the rest of the way. Again, I thought TJ McConnell, Jordan Wara, Isaiah Jackson. Certainly a lot of balance last night, but those three, in particular Wara, this guy's been out of the rotation. Uh, all of a sudden, you get some late scratches. Jalen Smith's out. Uh, obviously, you don't have Halliburton, and, and Wara was really important for them last night. That is now 7 of 8 for the Pacers. As Andy said, it is in Atlanta tomorrow before the West Coast trip begins. All right, big one last night for Thad Mata and the Butler Bulldogs, and really it was a big second half over Marquette, winning at Marquette, a place that, frankly, teams just do not win at. Uh, Outscored the Eagles 41-27 in the second half. Uh, Typical Butler fashion, very balanced. Pierre Brooks and Landon Moore leading them with 14 points apiece. Jalen Thomas had a double-double. That ends a 19-game home win streak for Marquette, a 20-game Big East home win streak for Marquette. So very, very important for Butler to get a win like this, especially away from home. I mean, honestly, Andy, I know maybe the home fans won't love hearing this. Getting this win is better than getting the UConn win on Friday. Yeah, you're Because you do it away from home. Sure, yeah. And that is really, really key in trying to put together something in mid-March that the committee's going to take note of. Yeah, uh, Indiana needs to look at Butler and say, that's what you need to do <laughs> if, if you want to get back so, in the beat Rutgers first uh, before oh, you're worried about by Marquette. The, by the way, in the 8 o'clock hour, if it's good for you guys, I had it slotted on our uh, show sheet. Brian Evans was on with JMV yesterday and absolutely nuked Xavier Johnson. <laughs> Boy, he knew Xavier Johnson. I don't know if he held back on Mike Woodson very much (laughs) either. He didn't hold back on Mike Woodson uh, or Xavier Johnson. So, yikes. Just quickly, uh, other college basketball scores. It was a big night. You know, you had Houston and Purdue lose two nights ago. Does it make you feel any different about uh, either of those teams losing? Because last night, Kansas lost to Central Florida. Top five, Tennessee lost at Mississippi State. Number nine, Oklahoma lost at TCU. You mentioned Marquette losing to Butler. Uh, And number 21, Clemson on the road lost by 15 to Virginia Tech. So the last couple nights have not been good for top 25 teams. It's one of those things, too. You start to look ahead two months from now. What does Tier 1 look like for national championship sort of contenders there? Um, you know, obviously we'll see how everything plays out, but yeah, uh, the road tough, tough to play. And we've seen that here already this week. Uh, last news item here on the morning check down the biggest news easily of this Thursday morning. And that would be announced really just a couple of minutes into our show, courtesy of ESPN mutual parting of ways is the phrase used between Bill Belichick and the new England Patriots. So the greatest run in NFL history for a head coach. It comes to a close in New England. I still think Belichick's going to coach. I think he wants the record. I think he yes. wants the Don Shula record. Oh, I agree. Uh, yeah, 15 sure. wins shy of that. 333 career wins for Bill Belichick. So, you know, Saban, he retires. Pete Carroll, I think he's done. I know he's got a ton of energy. He'll do something to channel that. But I don't know if it's a, a head coaching gig. I think Belichick wants to coach. And there's seven other openings out there. Be very interested to see where he ends up. But man, what a 
24-hour period and three of the greatest coaches, certainly in modern history and of all time, in my opinion, all departing, hanging it up, however you want to phrase it, for different reasons. Friend of the show, Field Yates, said, During Bill Belichick's 24-year run as the Patriots head coach, the other 31 NFL franchises had a combined 213 head coaches. That is insane. And most of them were Jets head coaches. I would say half were the Bears, I think. (laughs) Bears, Jets, and Giants. I saw the Bears are looking for a new OC, Mark. Yeah. That seems to be commonplace in Chicago, right? Pete Carroll wants to be the offensive coordinator. Do you want Frank Reich? Boy, I wouldn't be surprised if he's at the top of the list. Him or Jim Caldwell. Role reversal. Or Greg from, Roman. Yeah, but I mean, you're saving your job, and, and the guy you're going to get to save your job is Frank Reich. Ugh. I don't know if I can yeah, trust I know, Frank man. Reich to uh, scheme for a, uh, a Justin Fields or a Caleb Williams or a Drake May. So we'll see, but that is a name that's been thrown out there. As Andy said, Chris Ballard going to meet the media season-ending presser coming up at 1230. It is a very, very notable list of free agents. Even when you get past that kind of initial tier for the Colts, this offseason, there's still some others that we really haven't talked about that, that that probably deserve mention, certainly contributors in 2023. And on the Pacers front, obviously the Halliburton news dominated the story storylines in the news cycle yesterday. Uh, but should they be pursuers of one Pascal Siakam? Certainly some rival execs around the NBA seem to think the Pacers are in the running. Should they be? We'll discuss that as well. Thanks for spending this Thursday morning with us. It is the wake-up call of KB and Andy. All right, thanks for joining us on this Thursday. Scott Agnes going to join us coming up uh, in about about 45, 50 minutes or so. A couple different things we need to dive into here. If you're just joining us, the big news of the morning at what time? 7.03, KB? You reported it to everybody here in the Indy Metro area. It was early. Bill Belichick mutually parting ways there with Robert Kraft of the New England Patriots. Now, Kraft and Belichick around noon today are going to be having a press conference. So that's going to be a busy time uh, here locally. Chris Ballard speaking at 1130. Anthony Richardson before 12, him. 1230. 1230, 1230 excuse me. 11 o'clock for Richardson. 1230 for Chris Ballard. And then around noon there uh, in Foxborough, you're going to have all the goodbyes and everything with Bel- Belichick. Still think he, he coaches. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Of course, uh, we had Nick Saban later last night. We had Pete Carroll as well. So it's been a busy 24 hours here. The coaching carousel. And quite frankly, besides some of the guys, you you know, younger guys who are getting different jobs or getting fired, getting promoted, whatever it may be. Pete Carroll, Nick Saban, and Bill Belichick, the old guard. And Belichick, I do uh, would imagine he will be coaching next year. We'll see where, perhaps Washington. And I think this needed to be done before we move to NBA here. I think it needed to be done because someone like Mike Vrabel, if Mike Tomlin's tenure happens to end this weekend there in Pittsburgh, eventually you got to get the ball rolling, right? You got to get these guys in. You got to get some interviews. You got to get it set up. But nonetheless, the last 24 hours, boy, the NFL and college football going to look different next year. Yeah, it's wild to think that, and we had a listener, Brant, earlier text me like, man, you know, this is kind of making me feel old, Kevin, that, you know, if you look at the quarterbacks, um, especially kind of in our general age range, Andy, you know, we grew up with Brady, Manning, Roethlisberger, Rivers, you know, that, you know, I guess to a lesser extent, you know, a Favre, you know, like some of those guys. And now from a coaching standpoint, you know, if you were to tell me before, you know, yesterday morning, Hey, Kevin, name the top three you know football coaches you've seen in your lifetime easily. 
one, two, three on that list in some order would be Belichick, Saban, and Carroll. I mean, I, I can't think of anybody else that I would put on that list, whether it's college, pro, combining the two, however you want to do it. So, boy, it is certainly a passing of the torch. Uh, and to me, there's just no obvious answer that jumps out at Alabama. You know, I, I look at some of these Saban coaching tree guys, whether you want to say Kirby Smart or Dabo or Dan Lanning in Oregon and Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, I'm like, I don't think the grass is necessarily that green at Alabama in replacing Saban. Not in today's college football world, especially when so many seats are there at the table of the college football playoff and NIL this and you know how the expectations are going to be in replacing Saban. Honestly, it almost seems like you go let somebody else be the coach, let them get fired after three or four years, and then you go take <laughs> and then that you job move it. if you really well, want plus to. Plus, the SEC's different with the expansion, and who knows when expansion truly stops, but you had expansion, and then they're doing away with divisions. I think this was the last year, was it not? They're doing away with divisions, and the SEC in the next year or two or three, they're going to be adding another SEC game to that ledger, which just makes everything even more difficult. And I will add this. Adam Schefter did mention specifically – a team for Bill Belichick, okay. and that was Atlanta. Okay. Um, you know, obviously Arthur Blank, longtime owner there with the Falcons. Uh, they do not have a GM opening. You know, some of these openings right now do have the GM element on top of it, uh, but that is one of the spots that does not. Again, eight openings right now in the NFL, uh, so a whole lot to sift through there. Uh, so Bill Belichick at Magic City is what you're saying. <laughs> so, yeah, so Bell's, that would be unbelievable. So he has to like go to eight to and nine or nine and eight every year. I don't know. Belichick wearing the black and red of Atlanta is kind of sad. I, I don't mind saying it. It's kind of sad, but he can't go to Washington because that's a curse franchise. Well, I, I would, I would argue wearing Commanders colors is sadder than Falcons <laughs> well, colors. Well, I would agree. That's why I said Washington, his career would, would be over then. He would be down to his final yeah. moments. Raiders, break- Panthers, Chargers, if you look at it from the GM opening on top of it. So uh, 15 wins. That is what he is shy of Don Shula for the record. And I would guess and assume Bill Belichick wants that record. I was going to say, if he's trying to break Shula's record, he has to go to a franchise that's kind of ready-made to start winning games. He doesn't want to be coaching for 12 more years trying to get 15 wins if he's on a crappy well, I, franchise. I would like to think he could do that in a couple of years, Mark. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. The, the Patriots this year weren't very good. Here, so Here's he's the thing. To, uh, I don't think Belichick can build a team. I think he can coach a team. I don't think he can build a team any longer. And that's not, I mean, if you want to say that's a shot at him, fine. It's a shot at him. It doesn't mean that he's not the GOAT. It does not mean that he's not the GOAT. I want to be clear about that. But he can't. Like you got to understand your weaknesses here. He that's not what he can do. Well, he aren't proved, all of these somewhat of a build or a rebuild? I mean, nobody is ready made. No one's ready made. No but, one's even close outside. Maybe the Chargers. Yeah, I, I just feel. Don't you feel like the Patriots' level of talent was just so cruddy? I mean, right, that, but, that's my thing. So who has a level of talent that's not cruddy? I guess that's where yeah. I would start. Seahawks, right? maybe. You know, I, I think a lot of people are intrigued by Atlanta's skill offensively. Right. I mean, that was an and issue and that, that they had. that defense was fine. That defense was fine. And that defense was a better than right. you know, half defense. Obviously, quarterback is a huge, huge question. And um, So, yeah, I, I'm obviously fascinated to see where uh, Belichick's going to end up. Because it seems like, of the three, he's the one that definitely wants to continue this. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's got records to break. He he has another chapter here. Well, he's he got has no a life. final chapter, and he doesn't have a life. No. That, that <laughs> Saban will eat oatmeal cream pies. Uh, Carol, <laughs> uh, you know, will do something with his energy. Carol will be like the uh, – Carol could be the mascot for the season. Yeah, I don't want to hear about Saban and his junk food habit. The dude's slender is all slender. I mean, he's a skinny guy. Did you see the video of the Atlanta students 
uh, in front of uh, what is it, Tuma's or Tumor's Corner? Oh, uh, Auburn, you mean? Uh, now what? What's the Where what's do you the think? Bama icon? I guess it's just Saban statue. You know, it's isn't just, it? Yeah, that's what I think of. It's just a Saban statue, and they, they were like chanting, flowers around it. Well, and oatmeal cream pies <laughs> and cokes, and they were chanting anybody but Dabo. <laughs> How great is that, man? His stock was like boom, man. Dabo's stock was so high, and now he's got two black eyes. <laughs> he's, he's, playing, he's playing the Camping World Bowl. He's got two black eyes. Uh, let's let's switch things. Uh, let's switch things up just a little bit here. Uh, like I said, Scott Agnes coming your way at eight thirty today. Tons of college basketball we can dive into. But last night, I think there's two things. The Pacers played last night and they won, and that was a good thing. Beating Washington, uh, we know it's going to have to be six, seven, eight guys scoring in double figures. Jordan War had a nice game. We've talked about that. The other thing rearing its ugly head, and you know what's funny about this, Kevin? We were on the way to the elevator yesterday, and we talked about this very thing, did we not? Um, Yahoo Sports over the weekend had the report that the that the Pacers were close with OG Ananobi. By the way, the Knicks five straight with OG. I know. Uh, that, you know, OG Ananobi, the Pacers absolutely were there. The Knicks had a better package, whatever. I mean, who knows? And... And now, is it Sam Amik, uh, Amik? How do you say his name? Do you not know say his yeah. name? Okay, is that I how you say it? Right? I, yeah. think, I think that's it. Of the, good a- of the Athletic reported, I know this has been talked about a little bit yesterday, uh, that the Indiana Pacers are seen by some rival executives as the leaders in the pack for Pascal Siakam. And then that dives into, we've had the conversation about Siakam, but then it further dives into some of the some of the finer points, like what are you willing to give up? What about Jairus Walker, who has very much been in the news that, you know, the Pacers, whether it be for Siakam or somebody else, don't want to, you know, I mean, come on, I don't want to say give up. Jairus Walker hasn't played, really, uh, in the NBA. So you have to make these salaries, you know, kind of, you have to make them fit. So, how you know, who would fit in moving if they went for Siakam? And then the the one for me, which is, which is, you know, it's the gamble and it's the big conversation piece is if you're going to go out and get Pascal Siakam, there is the thought process out there. It's been reported that he's not going to give teams any assurances that he'll be back. So you're looking at a rental. Well, which, which that is a non-starter. I, Can we just... I, well, we, okay, we, so we agree on that because I'm If you're a making no. the move... I am a no if that's the he's case. he's not giving... Yeah, I, I, I'm a no no matter what, to okay. be honest with really? you. Okay. But I am especially a no... If he's going to look at you and say, yeah, we'll see what happens in free agency. What? <laughs> no, I, I'm not giving up those no. assets like that, those young players that you've... I mean, again, Jairus Walker's still, what, 19 years old, 20 years old? Like, bailing on him right now. Oh, I'm not and, giving up Walker. And whatever, combining right. a Matherin, combining a Nemhard, whatever package would need to be done. Obviously, I would assume some first-round pick would need to be thrown in there as well. That is a no thank you, especially if he's going to go the, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes there. Um, now, why am I a no, no matter what, Andy? I'm just not a big Siakam guy when I think about the types of swings the Pacers have the opportunity to make in the Halliburton era. Halliburton's under contract for six years. In my opinion, you're going to get two big swings at it. Certainly one, and and, and you know... Honestly, you hope it's really only one. You hope that the one swing is enough. But let's just say two. You know, all right, Tyrese, that one didn't work out. Give us one more shot at it. And then you take another swing at it. 
I don't want this to be one of the two swings. First off, every move I think has to be thought of with, okay, what does he bring you on the defensive end of the floor? That box does not check for me with him. I think it checked much, much more, much, much more with an OG and an Obi. Two, I think offensively, while he could certainly alleviate some of the go get you a bucket, um, if that is an issue the Pacers have, I don't think that's a huge issue. Maybe it will be more come playoff time, but offensively, uh, that's not where the concern is for me. Uh, yeah, certainly he can score and score at a really, really high level in this league. But Andy, he's not some dude that just stands in the corner and Tyrese Halliburton you know, drives and facilitates and finds him the ball and he hits an open shot. That's not Siakam's game. And then age-wise, he does not match that timeline at all. You know, it was a brief period. But if you recall, uh, for what, 24 hours right before the start of the season, there was the Drew Holiday talk. Oh, yeah. And Drew Holiday is, you know, what, four years older, I believe, five years older than Siakam. So, again, age is different there. But why I even entertain the Holiday thought is – He's an absolute dog on the defensive end of the floor. Siakam is, you'd be whimpering watching him play defense with this group. Um, So, yeah, I I don't like it. I don't, and and I am, trust me, I am all for, at some point here, in kind of the next 18 months, you should take that swing. A swing of this nature. But given his skill set, given his age, and especially given his apparent reluctance to commit to a team via trade, no thank you. Yeah, but why? I agree with you. Why would the Why would the Pacers want a rental? That's not the type of team they have this year. They're not. Hey, yeah. we're one player away. We're that a makes no Pascal sense to me. C- we're a Pascal no. Siakam away from being in the NBA Finals. That's not me denouncing the Pacers. That's just reality. They're a good, fun young team that I absolutely think could get into that six seed. Uh, I really thought they would have made the six seed, if you will, uh, maybe the five seed, whatever it may be, if they had Tyrese Halliburton. You know, his injury, if he's out four weeks, that's you know they're obviously going to lose some games and it's going to be playing catch up the final 28 to 35 games of the year. But for me, you know, to, to boy, this is like taking, it's not only taking a swing, it is... There's a lot of risk involved unless you know you can do what basically the Bears did with Montez Sweat. They traded the commanders. They got a big defensive lineman. And what did they do? The next day after trading him, they signed him to a long-term guaranteed money extension. Now, Siakam is up for the four-year, whatever it is, $192 million max contract he can get. I think the question is, if you're going to do one of these trades, Kevin, whether it's Siakam, whether it would have been OG Ananobi, or if it's somebody in the future, who are you good with letting go? You're not just going to give them an expiring deal of Obi Toppin and Buddy Heald and, you know, in, in a pick in three years and you're going to just wash your hands of the situation and you're going to get a guy that can average 25, 26 points a game and you're going to be able to do so by not giving up something that hurts. Something that hurts could be right. Jairus Walker, Benedict Matherin, if Miles Turner is involved. Like, a, like if you do this, I'm, I'm good with the swing, but the swing is is going to involve one of these guys that you've praised for the last year or so not being on your team any longer. That I mean, that's going to happen. For sure, yeah, yeah. You, you don't acquire a player of that caliber without giving up something of note there. 
Um, you know, I, I've always kind of had this stance here with this season, Andy, of just let this grow. And I know, you know, JMV is probably going to drive his car off the road when he hears me say it, but just kind of let it grow organically. You know, this is Halliburton's kind of first, you know, full, full year with, okay, there's not like you are unquestionably the lead dog. And I get that he was probably there for a vast majority of last season, but like there's no doubt about it. So see what Matherin looks like. Right. I mean, how much shuffling have we already seen starting lineup wise in the first 30, 40 games? Oh, goodness. We've had what, f- five different combinations so it, at it, least? It's just kind of, all right, let's f- see these pieces. Jalen Smith, a swing and a miss last year. All of a sudden, now Jalen Smith like looks like you have something. Isaiah Jackson's taking a really nice step forward. Matherin has had these up and down moments, and now we sit here and it's like, wait a minute, this is now trending in a really positive direction here as of late. Obviously, you've got a decision on Buddy Heald who. You know, last night, you know, couldn't throw it in the ocean for you. And, and I, I don't think has had, you know, maybe the type of season you would have hoped for from him. So I'm all just kind of like, let's let things play out and let's almost get to the offseason and then reassess things. I don't think you need to be in this, you know, heavy panic mode of, uh, yes, this is the time to to do it. I get that there is a little bit of a you've got cap space. You've got some young guys that you like, potentially other teams would like. You've got the additional first-round pick coming up this year. Uh, but you're still going to have that in the offseason. Um, I'm just not ready to say, see a Jairus Walker, see a Benedict Matherin, see a Andrew Nemhard, some combination of those guys for a 30-year-old that doesn't bring it on the defensive end of the floor and offensively, To me, he needs the ball so much. I want the ball in Halliburton's hands. And yeah, you want somebody to play off of him. But again, I look at defense first whenever you make a swing of this nature. And none of this is even getting into the rental aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, reading stuff right now, the Kings and a couple of different teams has fallen apart. And I do think Siakam not saying, yeah, I'll sign that four-year max deal is part of it. It's guarded aggression. You want to be aggressive, uh, but you also have some time here. And I think this is the first time, and Mark Dykton, you need to mark this before we go to break here. You, You need to mark this. It's the first time where the media, Kevin Bowen, is is it wants patience? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Usually I, the media I, doesn't want patience. They say go get Pascal Siakam. This team needs to win fifty three games. You didn't go through the rebuild draft guys where you did to all of a sudden say see a nineteen year old Walker, see a right. twenty one year old Mather for for a thirty two year old for a, for a thirty year old that that does not bring it on the end of the floor where you can't guard anybody and also again uh, there's no commitment to you long term. So yeah, I, I just don't. I am. L- I can listen to some things, clearly. I mean, hell, I was honestly one that was like, I'd listen to Drew Holiday, mm-hmm. as crazy as that sounded to a lot of people. This is not one at all, really, for me. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm honestly holding my breath that the Pacers do not do this and continue to just kind of let things grow, get to the offseason, and see where you are at. All right, on the other side, we'll get in a little Colts conversation. Again, Chris Ballard coming up at 12.30 today. Anthony Richardson at 11. The list of free agents... Certainly notable. There's honestly a couple kind of second-tier guys that we probably shouldn't forget about as well. And could the Colts be playing overseas coming up in 2024? There are a couple options on the table for that. We'll explain more. 
Yeah, 8 o'clock hour coming up in a half an hour. Scott Agnes going to join us. We'll talk some Pacers with him. We'll talk about uh, the possibility of Pascal Siakam being traded here to Indianapolis. We'll do all of that coming up in about a half an hour. Reminder, broadcasting live this morning, as always, from the drivehubler.com studio. Tons to get to today. I said this last week, and I'm looking right at you, Mark Dighton, because you've made fun of these games. How bad do you wish there was a Thursday night football yep. game tonight? Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> How? Tell me you don't want Seahawks Jets tonight. Tell me you don't want Seattle and New York. I'm oh. kidding. So I'd be down with that. Uh, sure, why yeah. not? I'd like to see Al Michaels fuming at how bad the slate is. Curse our fantasy yeah. leagues, KB. We get none of that. It's over. What a fast-moving uh, football season. And I'm looking here just on Twitter with the news coming down about an hour ago. Bill Belichick and the Patriots mutually parting ways. You combine that last night with Pete Carroll and Nick Saban. Pro Football Talks Mike, uh, Mike Florio says, you can get caught up in everything here, but this should be remembered as one of the most significant weeks in NFL history. And I would agree with that. Uh, Mike Vrabel out there in Tennessee uh, so obviously we'll keep watching and what goes on there. The other news out nowhere on the Richter scale of the Belichick news, but the NFL did announce earlier today you'll have four, uh, four of the international opponents for next season. Uh, those do include two Colts opponents. So again, the Vikings and Jags, along with the Bears and Panthers, will host a home game in Europe. Uh, Chicago, Minnesota, Jacksonville will be in London. Carolina will be in Munich. And that is of note to the Colts because the Colts do have road games against the Vikings and the Jags. And if you think back to Frankfurt, Germany, this past season, that was a Patriots home game with the Colts. So no announcement yet on the opponents for those teams, but, you know, it's a possibility. Uh, you know, Anthony Richardson, I think, would be somewhat appealing. I, I know, you know, back-to-back years for teams, uh, granted, it'd be a different market. These would be London versus, you know, Frankfurt, Germany there. But just something to keep an eye on as the Colts have a chance to be playing overseas again. Vikings and Jags, those are two road opponents for the Colts. They will host respective home games in London. So we'll see an announcement later this year on that. And someone asked, do they play division games overseas? Yes. Specifically oh, the yeah. Jaguars do. They've played well, all the three played all three FC South opponents in, yeah. in London. See what plays the Jags can win when they're over there, they're good. 2016, the Colts and Jags <laughs> over there. Yeah. They get back to Florida with uh, the people wearing cargo shorts in their pool. Unless they're playing the Colts. <laughs> unless they're playing, they're not unless good. They're playing yeah. Indianapolis, uh-huh. uh, that they don't play very well. So uh, we shall see. Okay, so today, just to set things up again, uh, I would imagine Query and Company and James They'll have this sound for you. Anthony Richardson will be meeting with the media today at 11 a.m. Chris Ballard, general manager, will be meeting with the media at 12.30 today. And we did a little bit of this yesterday. So, Kevin, you're going to be there. What is at or near the top of your list? If you get a couple questions to Ballard, uh, and we can even talk about this through the prism of what do you want to ask Anthony Richardson, but obviously Ballard uh, will be the headliner, if you will. Richardson, the opening band. Um, What do you want to hear from Ballard? What do you think we'll hear? What do you think we won't hear? And then I have two or three things as well that interest me uh, as the GM speaks today after the season. You know, I, I always think this about Ballard and speaking to the media. I, I do think he's more candid than people maybe give him credit for when they compare him to the rest of the GMs around the league. And obviously, you know, him, him and I, we've we, we've played the audio from some from some prior press conferences over the years. But I just go back to his pre-draft press conference. You know, a week before the draft, when you are cards could not be closer to the vest. And several times in that presser, he said. 
I cannot believe that everyone has this pegged for a certain player right now. That could not be <laughs> further from the truth. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit there. And at that time, everyone nationally thought that it was Will Levis. And obviously it was not Will Levis. It was Anthony Richardson. So again, you know, and for GM lingo, Ballard's usually pretty candid when you compare him to others. Um, you know, I don't think there's necessarily a glaring, glaring question. Let me start there. But on the list would be uh, how much has Shane Sykin's presence changed or altered your opinion on roster building or influenced how you might go about the offseason? It's the first time he's ever built with a rookie quarterback. Does that change some things contractually when you look at not having to pay Anthony Richardson yet? Inevitably, you know, in about three years, that's going to kick in to having to pay him a little bit more. Oh, it's a it's a big deal. You know, like the patience we talked about with the Pacers? There's not quite the, the much the shorter window. Yes, yeah. it's a shorter window when you're not life paying your quarterback. Is, NFL life is naturally shorter. 100%. Uh, you know, is Gus Bradley under contract? Uh, you're 28th in points allowed each of the last two years. Is that on personnel? Is that on scheme? Obviously, you know, an answer there could be, well, uh, that's either on me or on Gus Bradley when you word it like that. But I think that's a very fair question to be asked. Um, you know, Quiddy Pay is fifth-year option. I would not pick it up. Uh, will he? That's a decision they've got to make. Certainly the franchise tag, you get into that. That hasn't been something that they have really entertained at all uh, coming up. Uh, that's due here at the end of February, early March. Is that something at play for Michael Pittman Jr.? Do you worry if you do that, you could have another Jonathan Taylor type situation. I know it's not apples to apples, but uh, that would be, I think, a question to be asked. And then, you know, Andy, again, this is the first time we've heard him talk since the start of the season. Well, what's happened since the start of the year? Anthony Ooh, Richardson's got hurt. Lot. So, playing style, does right. that need to change? Uh, you pay Jonathan you Taylor. You pay Jonathan Taylor after you said, you know, four wins, you're not going to pay guys. You've so, had what changed you've there? You've had what? Since the beginning of the season, five or six suspensions of some kind. You've had a lot of off the field. Yep. Uh, tossing the Drew Ogletree arrest as well. Uh, and then the other thing I'd probably toss in since the start of the year, you know, you cut a guy off the side of your building. And that doesn't happen very often. You know, what went into the Shaquille Leonard release? So, those are... Not on the side of the building anymore either. Did you know that? Uh, Yeah, Kenny Moore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw that on uh, Saturday night there. Yeah. Yeah, kind of odd that, you know, (laughs) Kenny Moore, free agent. I was about to say, should you you use someone who had a little bit more staying power? Maybe that means he is staying. Uh, And and Kenny Moore's made it very clear. He's been pretty vocal that he would like to stay here. So those are some of the questions that I would throw Chris is what? Yeah, I mean, to echo you, and I have a, cu- I have a couple just different ones, but I-, I think for me, yeah, franchise tag. I know they don't use the franchise tag. Ballard's use it against Pat McAfee, and that's about it. Uh, Michael Pittman, I think you're looking at him, and I think for me, free agent-wise, it's does he say something about, you know, Blackman, Moore, Grover Stewart? Does he say something about those guys that makes us come in here tomorrow and think, okay, they want that guy back, right? The, hey, there seems to be some importance that that guy is back, or does he give us the opposite of that where you think, I don't I don't know, Bauer wasn't talking as much about him. Maybe this guy isn't going to be back. Who knows if we get that? I sense that we probably will not, but I'm still throwing it out there. And then, listen, I know it's a boring conversation, even though we had it yesterday. You know, Gardner Minshew. I, you know, Gardner Minshew, not only it's easy to give us the 35-second soundbite of what he meant to the team, but that is an interesting position given, uh, you know, the, what you went through the last few years, especially what you went through with Anthony Richardson. And then the other two things. Play this play the Steichen clip, Mark. Here's Steichen. This was Monday 
after everything had settled down, Steichen has said this, Zaire Franklin has said this, and a couple other players, I think Jonathan Taylor as well. So this is something going on in the locker room that the Colts feel that they're right on the edge of being a pretty good team. I think we're right there. I think we're right there. And uh, you could see it by the way our guys fought, but every year is a new year. So we got to rebuild it again next year uh, and have that laser focus just every single day. The details, the preparation that we put into it, we got to be all over it. But I do. I think we're right on the cusp of something really special here. Now, I think Shane Sykin should have a whole lot of say and influence in how they handle personnel. And I know that obviously bleeds into Chris Ballard's job, but I I respect Steichen that much and and think that, you know, ears need to be wide open when when he's talking about what he thinks his team needs moving forward. So um, that is a question, again, that I would have for Ballard. I want to go back to Minshew for for just a second. I know we focused on that yesterday, and Colin McCullough, who listens to the show and, and does a really nice job in just sharing Colts takes, he it didn't necessarily tag us, but I assume he was referencing us on Twitter yesterday um, in that he is not necessarily a fan in bringing Minshew back. Um, you know, said something to the effect of, you know, did we watch the same quarterback, the one whose coach had to often win in spite of him? No thanks to changing the AR playbook for that very known ceiling. Uh, Minshew will still probably command something like five to ten million on the open market because he's an operational QB two, and those are rare. But for the Colts, I don't think it makes sense. Finding QB two is a better true scheme fit, and ideally doesn't have a defined mm. ceiling. Um, again, I am a fan of bringing Minshew back, and within that, there's a lot there, and there's some of it I certainly agree with. Uh, my thoughts on quarterback entering the offseason. You try and re-sign Minshew, and you draft one round five, six-ish in that range. Someone Steichen has identified, and that's kind of your higher upside. Clearly has some issues that need to be developed, or else he would be drafted much higher. But that's the one you kind of groom. Um, But he says in there, operational QB2, and those are rare. I think we've got to be realistic in what backup quarterback is in the NFL. Like Gardner Minshew was seven and six as a starter. And I think ultimately what you're hoping for from a backup, it, sure, you'd love this high ceiling budding star. He's the exact skill set as Richardson, who is obviously extremely unique in his skill set. But to me, when I think about a backup quarterback in the NFL, you've lost your starter for four weeks. Can that backup win you two of those right. four games? Can you go five hundred? That's kind of my like you know, just get to the to the standpoint of Coin flip, realistic scenario, survive, and move forward. Um, I do think Gardner Minshew, the fact that he knows Shane Sykin, that he has history with Anthony Richardson prior to the Colts, matters a little bit more. Um, But again, I look at it as, I've probably seen enough of the Sam Ellinger era, draft the new third quarterback, let Sykin groom, let Sykin grow. Maybe that guy has a little bit more skill set that you know replicates Richardson. But no, I think backup quarterback is too valuable and there are a lot of teams around the league, Andy, that saw their seasons wilt when they had to turn to that. Some did not, but others did. And others got into major scramble modes. Oh, sure they did. Trying Look to at find Minnesota. Yeah. Some answer. You know, Pittsburgh yeah. had to go to number three sure. to finally get to that answer there. So um, I just think Minshew offers you a coin flip opportunity. There is clearly a defined ceiling. There's a really defined ceiling for 95% of backup quarterbacks in the NFL. So, Again, I I still am a fan of bringing him back while totally acknowledging there is a defined ceiling. Welcome to life of backup quarterbacks in the league. I want to go back to that Steichen clip for a second. And listen, I agree with you. We've talked a lot of Minshew around here. 
they believe that, KB, they believe they're on the cusp. To me, and Ballard has to, like I would imagine Ballard feels that way. So my question to him would be, do you agree with your head coach and players that are talking like this? And that's an easy answer. He's not going to say no. No, you know, I don't think, I think, you know, this year was was a one-off. I think we're a five-win team. He's not going to say that. We understand that. So if everyone over there with the Colts believes that, what does Ballard need to do to get them over the hump? Whether that be a new D.C., uh, a way that you look at how you're running the defense, if you do keep Gus Bradley, um, if it's you know anything from a backup quarterback to what you need in the secondary to what you need in the draft, all the money you perhaps could have in free agency. So for me, it's do you believe you're on the cusp How do you not backslide, even though the schedule is going to be more difficult next year? And then the second one for me would be, and we've talked about this on this show, how much would would making the playoffs, and if you're getting ready for a game this week, Saturday, you're hosting Cleveland, even if you were on the road, you know what I mean. If the Colts would have made the playoffs, how much would that have changed the way we viewed Ballard, um, and again, I'm not even saying he wins a game in the playoffs, but everything that has happened here, if he would have made the playoffs with this team, how would we view him, his job, the roster, those sorts of things? Because, you know, as much as we've played nice with the Colts, that they had a great year and, and they overachieved, and to some level, KB, it was a success, and all those things are true, In the end, you know, we're running the JMV promo that basically says this. In the end, the NFL is black or white. You either win or you lose. And the Colts did not win on Saturday. And uh, listen, I know they didn't have Anthony Richardson. There are many different factors that go into it. And that's probably the answer. I didn't have my quarterback. We didn't have Anthony Richardson. Um, But if if it had made the playoffs, how things would have felt if they would have even lost to Cleveland, made the playoffs. I wonder that as well with Chris Ballard today. Yeah, and honestly, when you look at the Ballard resume, just for his own, maybe sanity isn't the right word, but boy, didn't he just need a playoff appearance. I mean, isn't that how you feel? Because it's an ugly-looking resume of no division titles in the seven years uh, in a division that certainly has been beyond manageable Prior to this, and this season. would have been a division title, right? right on right, top right, of right. it, it's and, not and just going to be a six seed. You would have been a four seed, you know. And, and who knows if you would have won? Obviously, you've only won one playoff game in that span, two playoff appearances. You know, those are all numbers that when Jim Mercy, you know, labels him as the greatest GM hire of the 21st century, actions certainly have not backed up <laughs> those words. Um, I would say the other thing that you were kind of getting at there early on again falls back on the defense. And you know, Jamie, Jamie, and I were discussing this yesterday. Like, there's a lot invested into that defense. And I know they're really young in the secondary. There are still some pretty darn high draft picks in the secondary. And there are a lot of high draft picks and money invested at the front of your defense. You know, at linebacker, two in-house guys that you re-signed in the front, whether you want to go first-round pick for Pay, you gave up a first-round pick for DeForest Buckner, and obviously you've paid him a huge amount of money. You've paid Grover Stewart big money. You paid Samson Ebicom big money. You've re-signed Tyquan Lewis now, who is also a free agent a couple of different times. Dayo Adengbo was a second-round pick. Again, there was a 
there's a good amount of this is not like no, it's a lot of capital. This is not right. the Atlanta Falcons right. defense where like it's a little bit of a nondescript group there when you look at it on on paper. Um, so why why 28th in points allowed? Because Andy, look at the quarterbacks you played. You did not play a list of quarterbacks that said, oh, yeah, you should be bottom quartile, bottom quartile, bottom quartile in you know points allowed this season, and then 28th the year before. So that's now two seasons in a row where you've been one of the worst teams in points allowed. Last year, or I guess going back to 2022, you have the context of you turned the ball over a ton. You were the worst team in the NFL and giving it away. This year, you weren't. So it's not like you put your defense in these horrific situations. You weren't great offensively, but you didn't give them short field after short field or Really, you know, just whatever. the Cleveland game is the only one that comes to mind where it's like, okay, there were a bunch of short fields here. Yeah. The defense had to do some work. So that, I think, is the other question. Royce says this, going back to our Gardner Minshew thing, and I think this is pretty well said. Royce goes, with AR's injury history, uh, you must bring back Gardner. Hopefully you don't need him, but you know what you got in a 500 backup quarterback. That's kind of where I'm at. That's how I feel. That's how everyone should feel, honestly. I just don't think backup quarterback, you can get too sexy with it. Like, you, yeah, ideally you would have this, you know, beautiful shining object that kind of is like Richardson stylistically, and you know, he offers this high ceiling, but I think there's a dose of reality that you live in, and the dose of reality is, if he sprains an ankle, and it's a high ankle sprain, he's out for three to four weeks, do you have a chance to win half the games? And I do think Minshew can offer you that. But I would still draft the quarterback behind that. By the way, backup, you use the word backup quarterbacks and stunning. Did you see Jake Browning's girlfriend? We never talked about Boy, that was... <laughs> Mark, did you happen to see this? Mark's like, I'll just stay out of this so. conversation. So. How did Mark miss this How of Mark, all people? She, she was in a, Man. a silver bodysuit. Tell you what. For uh, Browning's final game yeah, there yeah, in I Cincinnati. Feel bad. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I feel okay, bad for yeah. those Cincinnati fathers that might have taken their kids to the game for a Christmas <laughs> gift. And son, focus on the field. Do not turn. No, we are not high fiving anyone in the suite. Maybe she got lost. Like keep at your the hands ski to lodge. yourself. <laughs> Woo! She did oh, look like man. something you would see in Dumb and Dumber. I, I was yeah. just gonna say it's so like Swanson she, or Samsonite. She, she hung out with uh, Lloyd Mary? and Harry. <laughs> She's Mary. That's exactly who she is. Oh, yeah, the Rocky Mountains would be a lot rockier than this. <laughs> yeah, Jake good, Brownie, good for him. Good, what good a, for what Jacob. A, like low key Jake Brownie. What a great year for him. People learned who was he was. Say, he played well for the Bengals. They almost made the playoffs, and that good on, God on the field and off the field, Jake Browning <laughs> mm-hmm. appears to be winning. Can, can I play it. one piece of sound before we get to a check down and sure. we get Agnes up here? So I just saw this this morning. So I guess ESPN did this. You know, Chris Canty is on the morning show that comes on before us. We play the first hour undisputed from 6 to 7 o'clock. And yesterday, so this is during our show this happened, Dan Graziano of ESPN was on was in studio with them. Now, I guess Canty or maybe the producers there, they added some music to this. But you rarely get this. Graziano is a respected NFL NFL insider. He crushed Aaron Rodgers. Mark, you're going to love this sound. Go ahead and play it. In terms of around the league... I think Aaron's, you know, sort of living down to his reputation in a lot of ways uh, as a, as a, you know, attention hungry, you know, self-absorbed individual that, you know, you hear a lot of things about how he's been in the Jets building since he got there and they're positive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, con artists can be very convincing. And uh, I think if he's, if he's got the Jets fooled about who he is, then that's too bad for them. And eventually they'll pay the price for it. But, uh, 
He's obviously uh, a liar and a, a, a narcissistic con artist uh, who is bad for everything he touches. And I think ultimately the Jets will pay the price. That was yesterday on Unsportsmanlike. What do you make of that con Got the artist? Ether soundtrack behind him. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, I like that. That, that. That music was a lot. Mm-hmm. I think the music helped it. I can't tell though. I mean, that's a that's a takedown. You know, I, I said this con artist um, back at Manicast when Aaron Rodgers appeared on there with Peyton and Eli. I could listen to him talk football all day. Like I think it is. Su- I, I think he's such a great football mind. Love it. Um, boy. I wish that would be the case in his other other appearances. It sounds like it's over, right? <laughs> with him going on with McAfee? But McAfee made it clear this is something that happens annually. Like, in January, whenever the season ends. Oh, yeah. Well, is they the, take their break. They can say that, but the season's not over. <laughs> you saw the, the playoffs and the well, Super the Bowl. the Jets season, yes, I guess, maybe is a better way to put it. It's a great point. It's Colts a, it's had a, Jets next year. Colts are going to see Mr. Rodgers. Well, yeah, if he's healthy. And listen, Colts just need to worry. They just need to worry. I'm worried about Anthony Richardson playing on that turf. I'm not joking. They play the They'll Jets play twice, and the Giants there in MetLife. Uh, the, Giants could, Met the, the, the Giants could be one of the teams that also goes overseas this year. They play Carolina. There's a thought kicking around the internet that that could be one of the other games well, as that'll well. That'll be really exciting. 9.30, baby. Again, you're you sure ma- the again, Germans are going to love that again, one? Again, you guys are making fun of it. How bad right now would you love Jets-Carolina Panthers tonight at 8.15 with Al Michaels? Luke uh, throws out the name of uh, Tyrod Taylor. Yeah, I mean, that that, that is no, one that I could no, look into. No, no. I, I still don't sit here and think like all of a sudden even Tyrod Taylor gives you this like incredibly high ceiling versus Gardner Minshew. Here's what Tyrod Taylor is, and I saw way I've seen between the the Bills and the Giants and what San Diego when they were San Diego maybe right when they were moving to L.A. It's when he got punctured lungs. Uh, dude, I, yeah, I've San seen Diego. I've seen way too much of Tyrod Taylor, including this year. He misses easy small throws. And what did Gardner Minshew do? Didn't Gardner do that on the biggest play? Well, he did, but I mean, (laughs) otherwise, what has he done this season? I think some of the throws that Gardner has made that that Tyrod cannot make, but what Tyrod can do is he can run and he can throw the deep ball. So is that matching Richardson's skill set, though? And and that's, I think, what you listen to a little bit. But he gets injured, man. He's so injured. Sure. He's so, he, he is so injured. I mean, he got injured. The reason Tommy DeVito played in New York is because Tyrod Taylor continued to get injured. How about Minshew? 13 games played, didn't miss a single snap due to injury. Biggest stat of the year. Most surprising stat of the year is the one you just gave. Uh, the biggest news item to lead off this morning checkdown on a night when the Pacers and Butler get a big win. It's got to be nationally. Let's lead off a morning checkdown with that. The morning checkdown. On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, the news broke just after we began our show, and it is a mutual parting of ways. In reality, it's the Patriots telling Bill Belichick goodbye. Bill Belichick and the Patriots press conference coming up at noon today. ESPN reporting that Bill Belichick will be, I I guess, I don't know the official lingo. Again, mutual parting of ways, uh, stepping down, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Nonetheless, uh, his time, his incredible run in New England is over I do think you'll see Belichick want to continue to coach. He's just 15 wins shy of passing Don Shula on the all-time wins list. You've got to think that is something that Belichick wants. And Andy, as we've said all morning long, it is wild to think of in 24 hours, Pete Carroll, Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, all of them uh, no longer coaching at their respective posts. 
Yeah, it's unbelievable. And, you know, they, they've said that Pete Carroll could stay within the organization there. Is he able to do that and not coach? Some guys are, right? Some guys are able to do that. They stay away for a little while. Tom Coughlin was able to do that. Going back to Jacksonville, that didn't work out very well. Uh, so I don't know what he's going to do. And I think early leaders in the clubhouse, you look at Washington for Bill Belichick. And this morning, a lot of a lot of people are editing the uh, black and red and white uh, blazer, if you will, hoodie, if you will, of the Atlanta Falcons on Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick ain't wearing a blazer. <laughs> I can tell you that much. A Mike blazer. Norvell, is that the name for Nick Saban? I, I don't mind it. Just be okay. So if you're thinking about it, who is not at a a tier one spot right now? So if you want Dan Lanning from Oregon. I view Oregon especially going to the Big Ten as being a tier one job. Hell, you could have said, 20 million buyout, right? Well, I don't think that's going to matter, but it is substantial. Mike Norvell is at a spot where you can go undefeated and not make the college football playoff. I know it's expanding. The ACC is a dog conference on the football side. They brought in a bunch of, of, of... of, of places that have not lived up to expectation. Miami, Louisville, several. Uh, Clemson has backslid a little bit. So Mike Norvell is a $4 million buyout. I think he's a. I think he is an above-average coach. Is he a great coach? I don't know. I also know he can run a program. I'm not sure Dan Lanning can run a program for four, five, six years. I've seen him do it. Mike Norvell would probably be near the top of my list. It's a shame Tom Allen took the job at Penn State as defensive coordinator. Tom Allen would be a perfect change of pace. <laughs> well, what, about, what about James Franklin? Well, how about Kurt Signetti while we're at it? Doesn't he have the recruiting coordinator history with Nick Saban? Nick Saban handpicks Signetti. I see what you're doing in the portal in Bloomington. Come on down, what is he? What is he doing in the portal in Bloomington? It sounds like he's being very active, getting he's some active. notable yeah. JMUers and some others in the portal. Pretty uh, simple. I win. Google me. <laughs> Google me. The Saban note that is just astonishing to me, among many others. Uh, 109 weeks, his football team has been ranked number one in the land. That is more than any other college. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, let's move to the NBA Pacers winners last night, 112-104. Pacers now 22-15, 13-8 at home. They, of course, hit that road, uh, that, that, that uh, what should I say, uh, that road trip coming up Friday in Atlanta. Postgame, Rick Carlisle, the importance of getting the win last night. You know, these games are going to look different. Without Tyrese out there, we played very hard in this game. Washington's a much improved team. Forget what their record looks like. Um, their coach, Wes Unsell Jr., is doing a terrific job developing their young guys, and they're getting tougher and they're getting better defensively, and they can really score. And so you know, our, our guys made a really um, strong effort tonight defensively. It's probably to be expected, but boy, the start of the game, you're watching it, you're like, oh, man, these, this could be a long couple weeks without Tyrese Halliburton there. But they recovered big start to the third quarter. Again, Jordan Wara especially, guy who's not been in the rotation. Um, I, I think he can be a rotational piece on a pretty legit team. Uh, but he was very important off the bench, TJ McConnell, Isaiah Jackson as well. That's now winners 7 of 8 for the Pacers. And as Andy said, at Atlanta on Friday before they head out west, Tyrese Halliburton will travel with the team for this Western road trip. You, like, know, you, you like that? Not yeah, you, I, su- you surprised by that at all? I, I assume it makes sense. Wouldn't you travel your main medical people out there? So you would want him with them. And plus, I think it's probably good for his psyche just to be around all of those guys. Uh, big one last night for Thad Mata and the Butler Bulldogs. They go to Marquette, a place that teams, frankly, just do not win. And they get 
a big win. Huge second half for the Bulldogs. They were down seven and a half. Outscore Marquette in the second half, 41 to 27. They end a 19-game home win streak. That was the second longest in the nation. They end a 20-game Big East home win streak, which had tied the conference record. Butler overcame 18 turnovers. Again, very balanced, which they've pretty much been all season long. Pierre Brooks and Landon Moore leading the way. So if this resume is going to have some substance come mid-March, it was important to get one of these, and they did, especially away from home. Yeah, just just quickly, the rest of college basketball. We didn't mention this in the 7 o'clock hour. Indiana State lost last night uh, on the road to Drake, 89-78. And then with top 25 teams, uh, a mess. Of course, we had Houston and Purdue two nights ago. Both lose number one and number two. Number three lost last night. Kansas fell to Central Florida, 65-60. You had Tennessee lose on the road to Mississippi State. Number nine, Oklahoma lost to TCU on the road. You mentioned Butler over number 11, Marquette. And then number 21, Clemson losers at Virginia Tech by 15. So the last couple nights for top 25 teams have been rather sticky. All right, on the other side, Scott Agnes is going to join us. We'll ask him about the Pascal Siakam rumors, what he's hearing on that end. We'll do that next. Yeah, hanging out on this Thursday, drivehuber.com studios. We appreciate you making us part of your day. KB and Andy, we got you all the way until 10 o'clock today. Reminder, Pacers back in action tomorrow night. They begin that uh, that road trip. It's in Atlanta. We'll have all the coverage right here on The Fan. All right, let's go on out to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Scott Agnes joins us, Fieldhouse Files. Scott, a busy morning in Pacerland. How are you? Hey, good morning. Doing well. How about you guys? Man, we are fantastic. Uh, We have NFL coaches retiring and being fired, and Saban is gone, and trade rumors with the Pacers and the game last night. So uh, tons to cover with you. Let's start here, and then we'll dive in perhaps to some of the uh, Pascal Siakam trade stuff and everything else. Uh, The injury itself, we haven't spoken to you since. uh, Obviously, Halliburton went down, carried off, towel over the head. Boy, uh, a real grim scene the other other night. So the injury itself, what do you make of it? Just all of the a couple weeks, then we'll reevaluate. And then on top of it, you know, last night, a, a tough start. Second half got things going. What were some of the good things and bad things you saw last night with the Pacers? Yeah, so Andy, I, I mean, like most people, I thought it was going to be much worse. You see Ty go down. You see the unusual split. You see... Uh, him grimacing in pain and then needing to be carried off off the court and back to the locker room. I thought it'd be at least a grade two sprain, which would keep him out probably at least a month. But being the the uh, lesser of a possible hamstring strain here, um, if it is just two, three, even four weeks, if it's just that, I think it's still uh, the Pacers made out right because I guess my first reaction here was, Oh no! Did something snap? Did so, you know? It's, sure. <laughs> did a, a muscle or a tendon or, or you know whatever snap here, and you're looking at something more extensive. So, all things considered, I think the Pacers are in good shape with that. I, I'm sure he breathed a sigh of relief after all of that, and the pain went down and such. And then coming last night, as the Pacers wrapped up that homestand, which I give them a ton of credit. My goodness, to go four and one in that. I think if you would have talked to me before this, and I said I probably would have said three and two would have been a very successful homestand, considering uh, four of the six games were against the top two 
powers in the Eastern Conference. Uh, really impressive. Um, but in, in terms of last night's game, I think that's a, kind of a preview of what it's going to be, at least in the meantime, for the next two, three weeks here, is it's going to be com- by committee. There's going to be some unique coaching that's going to go on. Uh, you're going to need maybe a random player off the bench provide a jolt like Jordan War. I mean, I, I wasn't expecting necessarily him to come in and and make an impact, and that's because you had a couple players ruled out as late-game scratches, uh, and including Jairus Walker, who had played earlier in the day with the Mad Ants, but really did not look sharp. Well, it made sense. He was ill and not feeling completely himself. And um, Yeah, I think it makes some things very interesting as we head into this, this final month leading up to the trade deadline, too, as you referenced. Scott, I was hoping just from your vantage point, if you could kind of set the scene of what happened Monday night. You know, I I was there, and the fir- first thought I had was, boy, same basket as Victor Oladipo. That, that, hey, that me too. Yeah, yes. that was kind of the first thing I thought. You know, obviously Halliburton had slipped earlier in the game on that end of the floor. You had had a couple of nice notes in there because my eyes started going to all right. You know, is Kevin Pritchard going to the locker room? Is Chad Buchanan going to the locker room? Is his family going to the locker room? I think you mentioned his agent was in the building on, on Monday night. So just kind of from your vantage point, uh, w- w- what did you think of everything that transpired post-injury? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the I guess the first thing that transpired after the shock of it all was I noted I, I had already noticed how he was wearing a different pair of shoes than I can remember him wearing. Now, I should preface this by saying he basically wears a different pair of shoes every game, but almost always it's low top Kobe's means they don't go high up on his ankle. These were high tops um, and just different. So that stood out. We saw him slip very early in the game. That was on the kind of the side of his foot. This was very much on the side of his foot. And so I was trying to think about that and why that may have happened and why we haven't really seen that in the past. And the only thing I could come back to there was the shoe, but, uh, I thought it was telling them that James Johnson, Buddy Heald, picked him up. I think what's notable among that, too, is those are two arguably his best friends on the team. So that was not just, you know, the end-of-the-bench guys or the rookies. In fact, it was it was neither right there. Um, so that was telling. I like the fact, KB, that uh, he already had a towel over his head, but, it, you know, he maybe he clearly needed another one, and T.J. McConnell put it over there, and that's just – kind of looking out for his teammate um, so that maybe fans in the crowd or the cameras can't capture whatever face or emotions are going on in his face in a in a weak moment there as he's trying to process what just happened to him on the court and what it might mean for his future. Uh, then he goes back to the locker room trailed by team's athletic training staff. Um, and then at halftime, you can start um, seeing – individuals trickle back there and uh, general manager Chad Buchanan was kind of waiting in the tunnel as you referenced uh, with Dave Spahn as his agent of CAA who just so happened to be there that game like there was no rhyme or reason necessarily that he was there but I'm sure both Ty and Dave were glad that happened because then he was able to be with him that night and at the hospital the next day get in the MRI and, and to do all those certain things and then uh, after Dave and, and Chad went back, then Kevin Pritchard went back. Uh, Kelly Kroskoff, the assistant general manager, went back. And Ted Wu, um, then his mom, then his girlfriend. And so I keep hearing that from people underneath, and I'm like, all right, um, I, I don't, you're, you know, this is clearly serious. We, that doesn't necessarily mean it's super significant, but the fact that they're leaving their seats and everyone is going back there 
uh, yeah, mm. that that was that put me on high alert for what this could be. It was grim. The word I used was grim. I, I don't know the, the the carrying him off and the towel over the head. It scared mm-hmm. it scared the bleep out of me. It really did. If you're a fan sitting there, it's like wow. And they came back and won. What they did in the second half uh, was impressive. All right, so Scott Agnes with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline on the Fan on this Thursday. You know this team's 22 and 15, and man, Scott, they really had things going. I mean, they really. I mean, they even won last night, but with Halliburton, they really had things going. So they're gonna take some losses here. I mean. A couple games against Denver. Utah's playing good basketball. Sacramento, obviously Phoenix, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, etc. You know, you come home, you get Denver again, you get Philly and then Phoenix. He probably, I kind of feel like, misses those games. What would be, in your opinion, keeping, you know, keeping their head above water, staying afloat, what would that mean to you? Yeah, you start right here, Andy, with this, this a six-game road trip. So it's the longest road trip of the season to this point right now. It includes a couple of back-to-backs, which is difficult. And it's really basically a, a, a game in Atlanta and then five games out west. And that's what's awkward about this, too, is uh, adding that Atlanta game. Uh, the most challenging part almost always in this, regardless of how good they are, is that's what will be their first back-to-back, which I believe is Denver and then Salt Lake. Because just the different things, the altitude um, and going between the cities and not having rest, and that always seems to get them. I believe they've won off the top of my head in Denver like once in the last decade or so. Maybe it moved up to twice here in the last couple of years. But Denver has always been a tough place for the Pacers to play. Salt Lake City is incredible. Um, You'll have the emotion of Buddy Heald more so returning to Sacramento. Uh, if Tyrese is indeed on this trip, at least he'll be there and get experience it. Ty receives a warm reception. Buddy receives booze. Very different um, of how the fans feel about those two individuals. Uh, it, 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 this is a trip, too, where you can't count on any victories. I say that, too, because while Portland is poor and headed for rebuild, they also came here already this year and beat this Pacers group at home. And so I think over this process, one thing with or without Ty, Andy, here, um, what this team has to improve upon is the play, matching the level of their opponent. And too many times this season we've seen them play down their opponent. That's That was cognizant for this group last night, I think, when it was just two and a half weeks ago when they went into Washington. Now this was right after the in-season tournament, and they allowed that awful Wizards team to score 137 points and beat them. And so, yes, they disposed of the Celtics and and got a win on Milwaukee and such. But um, whether it's a good team or bad, like on this road trip, that's what they got to improve upon is being consistent. And, And it's going to require other players to take on greater workloads. Scott Agnes is with us here from Fieldhouse Files. Scott, I do have a couple questions in relation to the Pascal Siakam rumors of the Pacers, you know, having interests, you know, some rumors out there what rival league executives feel like the Pacers could be the team to beat. Do you think Indiana would do a deal for Siakam without the assurance from him that he would resign there? Likely not, no. That's a tricky situation because of the ways in which you have to discover that officially. <laughs> um, but you can do your due diligence and understand, you know, how a player feels about a situation, feels about a city, feels about what number it's going to take to be able to re-sign him. Um, but no, that that's one of the great concerns Chad Buchanan talked with 
a few of us meeting about in July, I remember he goes, hey, look, there, it's a tricky situation to to navigate through because there were several players they were in on or at least having conversations about who were entering contract years. There were several others who were at kind of the beginning of some of their careers, or excuse me, of their contracts. So you, you knew exactly what it would cost you, and thus it was easier to make an offer. Um, so that becomes more of a, a tricky stance here. Uh, but with with Pascal, or anyone, I guess, for that matter, you would want to have a handle of their comfort with their future coming here, uh, if that was indeed the case. Okay, then the other one would be on the, uh, you know, what or who you would give up. Um, untouchable, I think, is such a weird word to use. Frankly, I don't think anybody should ever be untouchable. I would listen to any and all trade offers. You and I both. Uh, just to gather intel, period. But yep. um I'll throw out a couple names. Jairus Walker, Benedict Mather, and Andrew Nemhard. Some combination of them. How hard do you think it would be to pry those guys away? Like, how much patience do you think the Pacers have with those pieces in particular? All three of them, of course, you know, have had very different starts to their NBA careers. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting you bring up those three because I figure it would take at least one of those. Um is kind of what I scribbled in my head of what what might be necessary. I'm thinking you would think a combination uh, of a pick. You would think uh, a combination of maybe an expiring contract that the Pacers have, and they have several of those. Um, A couple of them that will be over $20 million. Uh, And then one of of those young young talents that, uh, if it was Jairus, it would be a guy that could kind of potentially replace Pascal as a, a big four. Um, or the other two, they have the Canadian ties and also uh, two very impressive guys that you would hate to part with. But um, to, to say uh, on the other side of that, too, is the Pacers wouldn't do a deal if this person or this person is not in it. I think that's just too early. I think un- until you have a final call or get down to it, um, you're not crossing anyone, anyone, anybody out necessarily because, to your earlier point, you have to listen to everything. You, you, you have to have a starting point in a conversation. Um, otherwise, you're not going to get anywhere. So um, I, I think you're absolutely on the right track, though. Hand raised. Bit of a conspiracy theory here, and this will be the last one. Oh, I so, love Scott, these. thank you for the time <laughs> here on this Thursday morning. You were, you were at the Mad Ants game yesterday afternoon, correct? I was. Uh, did I see you uh, took a picture of Steve Simon? There? I did. Yep, he was sitting next to Lloyd Pierce during the game. Okay, so the expectation obviously is you know at at, at some point that Steve Simon will you know, take over for for Herb. Uh, am I reading too much into Steve Simon's there to take a look at Jarris Walker because he's involved in a trade package <laughs> with Pascal Siakam, and that's why he was that's why an owner would show up to a Mad Ants game on a Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be a little bit of a stretch, Kevin, only because, um, you know, he's involved in business decisions and business conversations. I don't know what his schedule was for the day, but he probably met with. Does he go to many of them? I guess I asked that in all seriousness. Like, I, I, I do find it. D- d- does he go to many of them, if any? I mean, there's obviously not a lot of people that do yeah. go to those games. So I did find it interesting that he was there. I did, too. I think it was more. I would treated more as he was in the area he was in the building the Pacers again keep in mind they're on a finishing up a two-week homestand basically so it's a perfect opportunity for him to be here and by the way I should mention because we haven't Stephen Rails the minority owner of the Pacers was at a uh, game uh, I guess forgetting my days of the week at this point it's not game day Uh, it would have been last week Stephen Rails was sitting courtside next to Rachel Simon at a Pacers game so I think it's more 
the holidays on top of a homestand brings these individuals in town more. And then while you're at the office, so to speak, why wouldn't you go down and stop and watch it? And no, Steve did not watch the entire game, at least from what I saw. Um, and while I'm not at every single Mad Ants home game, it is the first time I have seen him this season. I am not connecting the dots, though. I think it's more – I'm picturing him bouncing around from office to office while he's in town and checking in and getting reports on things. Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Files. Scott, thanks for waking up with us this morning. <laughs> you bet. Thanks, guys. That is Scott Agnes right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. <laughs> Speaking of people in buildings, you see the crowd in Mackey last night for Caitlin Clark? Oh, I I did not see the crowd, but did you see her half court shot? Did she she shot it and it just left her hands, and she got fouled and she turned around at the ref and was pointing like that's an and one, and it was you know it wasn't a half court shot, but it was a Steph Curry from the logo type three. Uh, Twenty six points, ten rebounds, Ooh. ten assists for her. That's now back to back triple doubles. She's had three triple doubles in her last five games. Quite the crowd last night in Mackey, Iowa beats Purdue ninety six seventy one. And speaking of uh, the Big Ten and the women's game, Terry Moran's bunch continues to have a really strong season here. Uh, they beat a Penn State off to another undefeated start. Now fourteen and one. Uh, for the Hoosiers there. So Says, I think uh, Caitlin Clark goes to Assembly Hall, I think, coming up here uh, in a couple of weeks, and that game is already sold out. Oh, Purdue, I'm Purdue's sure. average attendance for the year was 4,826. Last night's attendance was 14,867. <laughs> oh, now, they man. asked her, I think somebody from the Indy Star went wow. up there and did a story. She gave a pretty politically correct answer on, on the fever, leaving school, on the fever, and, um, you know, exactly what. All of that entails, but again, you would think all of our NIL obligations. And we brought this up, you know, a couple weeks ago when the Fever got the number one overall pick. Her brands are a bunch of national brands. It's not like you know the Iowa City Farmers Market is you know giving her big time money there, and they might drop out once she goes to the Fever here. Like you would think Gatorade and Nike and some of these brands would say, yeah, the Farmers Market. We're going to yeah. continue here. <laughs> Bob's Meat Shop. What's the, uh, is it High V? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one. Yeah. Is it's that in big, Iowa? Don't is they sponsor the, the IndyCar in race in Iowa a lot? No, there oh. you go. Yeah. Caitlin Clark, big night last night in Mackey. All right. Uh, hop back into the Colts conversation. And of course, the news item of the day the Mount Rushmore coaches in the game of football continue to hang it up. A big one added to that list this morning. We'll touch on that as well. Appreciate Scott Agnes joining us. You miss his interview, any of our conversations here uh, throughout the day on The Fan, 1075thefan.com. Check out uh, all the podcasts. You can listen live. Also, download the app. It's absolutely free. Take us wherever you may go on the app or at 1075thefan.com. Quickly here, Bill Belichick, if you're just joining us about an hour and 45 minutes ago, becoming official, he and the New England Patriots mutually parting ways, both uh, Belichick and the owner there. Robert Kraft will be speaking with the media at around noon. Now, as for us, Anthony Richardson today at 11, Chris Ballard coming your way at 1230. So the fan and then tomorrow morning we'll have uh, all of that coming your way as well. Uh, Quickly here, Coach K gave us an entire year to praise him. Nick Saban left after Ooh, a game. That's which, juicy. Which one are you? We can talk about that next, or you that can you can think about that. Which one does Kevin Bowen like? The goodbye from Coach K or the Nick Saban? Hey, we're done. I made the college football playoff. We didn't win. I'm 72 years old. I'll see you guys later. Another reason why I like Saban more than <laughs> Coach K. Plenty to talk about in the 9 o'clock hour. We'll be back next. 5 and 107.5. The Fan. Yeah, busy, been a busy day, you know. 
KB looked at us today and goes, you know, there's not many times where you get breaking news during our show. Usually news breaks at 10.01 or 10.02, Kevin. Uh, but today at 7.03, we got the news. Bill Belichick out there mutually parting ways with the New England Patriots. Again, uh, he and Robert Kraft will have a press conference today. And in the last 24 hours, whether it be Nick Saban stepping away, Pete Carroll being told, hey, uh, you're going to step away, still being there, maybe with the Seattle Seahawks, but not the head coach. And now... This morning, uh, Bill Belichick out there in New England. It has been it's been a wild 24 hours, and so now you have a situation. And again, I don't think you're going to have Pete Carroll looking to go somewhere else. I think Pete Carroll probably going to be done as a head coach. But you know, I said this the last couple days, Kevin, that you know you do have even though. He is at the end. You do have the greatest coach in the history of the NFL, and you could say the greatest coach ever, perhaps, Bill Belichick. You have him who's going to be on another team next year here in the NFL. And then you're going to have Jim Harbaugh, who is also in the NFL. And you just look at those two names. Sometimes we have a coaching carousel, and it's a bunch of coordinators that we don't know that much of. Oh, you know, you know, the Ben Johnson guy has done a nice job in Detroit, and there's a bunch of of coordinators who who do a fine job, but rarely do you get two like just big time heavyweights, right? I mean, Jim Harbaugh is a personality. He is the show. Bill Belichick comes in. He is the goat. He is the greatest of all time. And rarely do you get that. And we have that. And that's just, you know, I don't know. It's at least it's at least exciting. Hopefully, they stay over in the NFC. Yeah, and honestly, it's a lot different than what the Colts <laughs> list looked like well, last year. And sure. that's no shot at Shane Steichen. I obviously I think Steichen is a really uh, really good coach, but still, um, just from a track record standpoint, history. Hell, uh, Andy, we didn't really even have a Mike Vrabel on last year's head coaching list, and and he is obviously going to be a hot candidate. Uh, so yeah, once we get these dominoes starting to fall, I guess Sean Payton was probably yeah, it's um, a big the, name. The, the, the he was in TV. Name. He was in TV, but that was a big name. He got he got a lot of money. I mean, from there's no doubt. Uh, but yeah, I'm definitely interested to see you know what is the domino effect and. Do we see a crossover? Like, is there any sort of crossover from, you know, again, Harbaugh, obviously college game to the pro level is a bit of a thought. But if you're going for a recent Saban assistant, I would say, and I know people are going to laugh at this, but probably the most accomplished head coaching name of a recent Saban assistant that's not named Lane Kiffin would be Bill O'Brien. I, I know. I want nothing to do with Bill I, O'Brien. I, I know, I just, but like, I, I, again, I'm with you. Everyone has saying. such a negative view. Mark, will you pull up Bill O'Brien's coaching record? <laughs> sure. At the Texans. I think we all think the dude won three games oh, in, in Houston. Oh, he, and I think he did the a fine GM job aspect right. of him right. overshadows the actual win total that he had. Again, to update you on where Bill O'Brien has been, he was New England's OC, ironically enough, Yep. Uh, this past year. Moving on, that's why Tommy Reese left Notre Dame and went to Alabama. Mark, Bill O'Brien's, what, six years in Houston? Seven years? Yeah, from 2014 to 2020, which is kind of crazy. It didn't seem like he was there for that for that long. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. Do you have the win totals? Right. I'm pulling them up right now. Give me a second. Um, so here, it, I, I have it here. He's 52 and 48. Yeah, so he had a bunch of nine and sevens, and then in 2018 and 2019 is where he went 11 and five, 10 and six. Uh, even though he had some nine and sevens, he won the AFC South four times. I mean, again, four division titles in seven years, and how many nine? I mean, uh, over 500, and how many of those seasons? 
Uh, one, two, three, uh, five, six. Six out of seven uh, seasons, and then he was fired in 2020. He was 0-4. Like, Colts fans would that. sign up for that pretty quickly. Six I'd say. out of seven <laughs> years above 500. I know. I just, Four out of seven with the AFC South. It's just like because the guy has kind of a smug look to him, and as the GM and the Deshaun Watson thing, you know, whatever, went awful, and I don't know how much of that is on him. Like, people just totally ripped the dude. So, so what do you do with Bill O'Brien then? Well, I, I'm... I don't Alabama again. They probably want a little bit more from a college coaching standpoint. Um, and I mean, you you just don't hear his name anywhere, like a, on any of these head coaching interview lists. I mean, people interview everybody. Ballard interviewed what a dozen candidates oh, last sure. year. Every coordinator who's done anything, any coordinator who is sat next on a plane to Sean McVay is yes, going exactly. to get is going well, this to get guy interviewed. Was on the Redskins staff in 2012, Wait, so we're going to interview that, that. That staff was pretty loaded, dude. So we're going to interview him. Um, of the names they threw around for Saban yesterday, one from a Big Ten level that was at least like, really? James Franklin? Okay, that's I knew you were going to go there. His buyout's like six and a half mil. Now, you know why I want it. Okay, why do you want James Franklin out of Penn State? What does this have to do with no what does this have to do with Notre Dame football? Tell me. I'm not mistaken, the AD at Penn State is Pat Kraft. Okay. Pat Kraft, uh, Indiana product. Um, get James Franklin to Tuscaloosa, and Pat Kraft's been blown away by the in-building presence from Tom Allen here in the last Uh-oh. month or two, and now Tom <laughs> Allen gets promoted at Penn State. Well, you just elevate him for one year. You give him a shot. See give what, him a shot. See what Tom see Allen what he can, can do, do with, the, with the tools of Penn State, not little old Indiana football. How good is Penn State at snapping <laughs> fingers in the locker room? Glee Club would love it. Mm-hmm. Why not? Could Do he, they play Akron next year? Oh, God, we should look at that. Penn, well, I mean, I like James Franklin. I think he's played. I feel like he's a polarizing. I, he's he's a ten. And, he's a ten and two coach. Those two losses are just soul crushing. They keep you out of the college football playoff. Well, ten and two at Bama gets you fine bomb once you fired within <laughs> after one year. That, I just don't think Alabama. I don't think the Alabama opening is everything it's cooked up to be. Well, here's the thing, and I remember on the college basketball side, Mike DeCourcy. Uh, yelling and screaming at me uh, uh, over this, whether it be, you know, because I follow Louisville and Kentucky and those programs. And that is, you know, some of these historic coaches have left and look who has replaced them. Go to Syracuse and Jim Beheim. Go to when Rick Pitino was gone there at U of L. I mean, Chris Mack was fine, and then they had to go all the way down to to poor Kenny Payne. Um, we'll see what happens with John Calipari. Look at what Indiana has had to cycle through the last several years. Coach K leaves, and John Shire had never been the head coach. In fact, John Shire, if it weren't for the board of trustees at DePaul, was going to be the next head coach at DePaul. I mean, that's the kind of start that he was going to have to have to his season. And a couple months later, he becomes the head coach at Duke. Roy Williams, one of the greatest of all time, right? Roy Williams leaves. They go Hubert Davis. Nothing wrong with Hubert, but I mean, that was an in-house hire, a guy you knew, uh, an assistant coach. That was not a guy who had run a program uh, for for a long amount of time. So, like, that's the thing. In college basketball, I almost feel like if you lose a legend, you know you're taking a substantial step back. The question for me is, is it going to feel that way with the job in all of college football, And I right? guess, do we get 
than dominoes in college football. Like oh, you all absolutely will. Well, Mike Norvell or James Franklin goes to Alabama. Right. If, yeah, if those if are Dan two big Lanning jobs. leaves Oregon, sure. what is the trickle down effect and where are we at? It's kind of weird to get, you know, now a I guess we're approaching a handful of days past a national title and potentially have this. Um I thought I saw yesterday the Kalen DeBoer's name to interview yeah. for the Seahawks shop. Well, I, like, I mean, he, so, he I mean, was out there for the for the Alabama job too. I mean, can you imagine if Sark all of a sudden, if Sarkeesian sure. goes from Texas to Bama, you could have all four coaches from the college football playoff this year if Kalen DeBoer. And again, that we're a long ways away from any of that happening. But uh, you just typically don't get a lot of this into mid January. So with the Patriots news from earlier today, that leaves us with eight openings in the NFL. I'm going to take the Chargers off the board because I think the Chargers have the best opening when you consider Justin Herbert. They still have a high pick this year. I think it's the fifth overall pick this year. So the other seven. Titans, Raiders, Commanders, Panthers, Falcons, Seahawks, Patriots. What's second on the list? Most attractive. Okay, to me, it's to me, it's still New England. Oof. Still, I, it's just what they. Why ac- I don't know about that. I, Where I just, is the talent? I, I I understand, but none of these teams have very much is talent. Bob Kraft right? giving you a foot massage. I, I'm, yeah, but, I'm not following that one. Okay, so he, here's my thing. Why Her, Herbert is the only reason the Chargers are one. Otherwise, there's nothing that makes the Chargers one. It's just Herbert. Like that's well, how I mean that's how I feel. Just a quarterback least. is pretty attractive. It, it is it's better than it, Bailey Zappi. It, it is. I mean, we have seen the Tennessee Titans. They have no. I mean, they have nothing. Their offensive line stinks. Derrick Henry's gone. Now Titans they don't have Panthers. wide receiver. Titans and Panthers on that list. Do you believe at all in Levis or Bryce Young? No. No, I don't care for. So we're Levis. already done with Bryce Young. Yeah, to, I, I'm not done with Bryce Young. It's just if I if I have a pick of the litter, if I'm going to say, hey, who's number two here? I just I need to see. I mean, Bryce Young was terrible this year, and I know they had nothing around him. So I'm try, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, but he was bad. He was supposed to be an accurate quarterback, and it looked like he was not an NFL quarterback. I I, I kind of almost want to go Seattle. They That's have where a couple, I'm going. Yeah, I mean, they have a couple pieces on defense, a couple wide receivers. I don't know. I feel like they could make the postseason next year. The only reason— Who's your young quarterback would be the question well, I would have yeah, I mean, and, and none of these have. I mean, Sam Howell, is he the guy in well, Washington? The Raiders, you know, What come Washington on. has and what New England has is they've got the high pick. Right. And right. I think that's—you know, would Washington— be, are I, I, are I the think, Patriots five? Where are they picking? No, they're, are they, no, they're they, three. Are they Chargers is five. I mean, Commanders think, is two. So, you know, do you look at Washington and say, new ownership group? Obviously, a stark contrast from Dan Snyder. Uh, again, individual talent, that's probably a fair question to be asked there. But do you look at the number two pick and say, I'm getting Drake May or Caleb Williams or you know Jaden Daniels if you want to look at sure. that pick? And then I, Atlanta's young offensive talent is somewhat intriguing to me. Yeah, it is. And maybe just it, because I watched them against defense. the Colts. <laughs> well, it's, above, it's an above-average defense. But you still got to go find the QB, and that is... Well, it's a bad division. I mean, if if you are if you are someone... Yeah, it's a bad division. Like if, if, Belichick, if Belichick went to Atlanta, I think Belichick would be in the postseason next year. Don't you? I mean, he would have to be Dennis Allen in New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Baker Mayfield and Todd Bowles Baker in Tampa. Baker Mayfield and Todd Bowles. I don't, that's how I feel. If you say, hey, if he's got three years left, I th- I think he would make the postseason at least 
two out of those three years in Atlanta. I think he would be one of the, you know, five teams that always, you know, every year it's like, ah, there's about five teams that don't make the playoffs that end up making it the next year. We were talking about that going into the Colts and Texans game last week. I think Atlanta would be one of those teams where Belichick that would get them over the hump. I, I, I would still I'm surprised go, you're that high on New England. Yeah, I, and I don't know why. I just think it's it's a great ownership group. It's a great, and, and I say great because it's a big, passionate fan base. I understand Indianapolis people should not like the Patriots. I'm just saying there there's there's something there if you can go there and win. But I kind of feel like that's Vrabel's. The question I was going to have for you is, if you're a New England fan, is Vrabel a good? I mean, is, does Vrabel get you all turned on? Well, Mike it, Vrabel, and I don't know the answer to that. You know, in house, Gerard Mayo has really been the guy I know. that I think a lot of people felt like was you know low key being groomed for this. Yeah, but I would rather have Vrabel than him. He's yeah, ran a program. I, I, I would agree. Um, and I guess does this. I mean, this also opens the GM job, does it not? I mean, Belichick was both, right? By all accounts, I, boy, I just think you have. I just think you have to do that. Giving giving control, it's a tricky situation. It worked with Belichick. Perhaps it could work with a guy like Jim Harbaugh, but often more than not, I, I think you need separation of church and state. There, don't you? We were, um, yeah, I, I would agree. We, we, we were discussing earlier. The Gardner Minshew debate, and again, do you bring him back? You know how quality of a backup is he, et cetera, et cetera. Rex asked this question, sent us to us a little bit early. I wanted to make sure that that we got to it. He goes, "Does having a serviceable backup quarterback uh, make you mediocre and pick 15th in the draft as opposed to a top five pick uh, uh, where you are building around Richardson in the long run?" Yeah, you know, it's an argument I can of maybe listen to a little bit this year, but I think moving forward, Andy, you are in the boat now that. You obviously hope Richardson plays whatever eighty percent of the games in a season, uh, certainly more than that. But let's just you know be a little bit realistic, I guess. And then in those twenty percent, can you win half of them? Can you can you survive the games you don't have? I mean, look at Houston this year. C.J. Stroud missed what two games due to the concussion, yeah. and they they played two different quarterbacks. They played Case Keenum and Sills, did they not? Uh, D- uh, Davis Mills, yeah, or yeah, Mills, yeah. yes, and they went Who's, one and one. S- Sills is the old wide receiver for West Virginia. <laughs> David like, Sills, like didn't the Colts have a Sills guy? They he bring was, in in jumbo packages he was on this the year? practice squad for the Giants. <laughs> you know, basically moving forward, it's can you split, survive? However, you want to label it, the games without your starter, and can that still get you? into the postseason. I, I feel like, again, long-term vision, certainly having a higher draft pick would help, but I think we've kind of moved away from that uh, with the 9-1 season that you had, and now it's you view the backup in, can you band-aid it for a few games and not the, oh my gosh, we're so terrible, play the young dude and let him get all these reps and see what you have. Yeah, didn't Houston go 1-1? One one? Can you go 1-1? One one? Right. Can, can you beat right. the Jets, you know, if you miss a couple weeks? Let, let me add two things. By the way, pop quiz coming up in about 15 minutes. Let me add two things to this. I am a firm believer in if you bring Minshew back or if you go elsewhere, just responding to that tweet, the Colts are not going to be able to, And maybe they will. Maybe you guys disagree with this. And maybe it's more of my heart not wanting to see this again. I don't think you're going to get away with what what happened this year. In other words, I just I I feel like and the schedule might be more difficult, and sure, that's a piece of the conversation. I just don't know if if Anthony Richardson gets injured, if you're going to be able to quite literally ride Gardner Minshew 90% of the season. 
I, I see this as a kind of a one-year thing with what they were able to do with Minshew. Minshew. The second thing, and it goes to that guy, uh, and I understand it. I know everyone looks back and says, well, you know, we could have just lost a bunch of these games. And now we could be drafting fourth, fifth, sixth overall. I understand that conversation. It's not a wrong conversation. Mark Dykton and I went back and forth on this. In fact, Mark and I were on different, uh, because he had the Carolina pick, the Bears did. Mm-hmm. You were more, you were loving to see your team win and compete. Yes. I, I Every time Tommy DeVito won a game for the Giants, I'm cringing. I hate the, the wins that they had that moved them down. So I think when you're a bad team, that's a conversation that I'm totally good for. If I win one or two less games, Kevin, it's fine. Now instead of getting the sixth pick, I get the third or fourth. I'm good with that. That, that wasn't the Colts this year. It wasn't. The Colts did, I I think, having the new coach and not falling apart and sustaining injuries and, for the most part, overcoming those injuries, to me, saying the Colts should have just lost games to get a better pick, to me, that's a loser's mindset for this season. Well, unquestionably, it is a loser's mindset, but in the long term, again, Peyton Manning going 3-13 and in year one and getting Edron James sure as hell worked out. Okay, so... Andrew Luck going 11-5 and then getting Bjorn Werner didn't really work out. (laughs) Okay, so then the Chris Ballard... you. The Chris Ballard, hey, that's the voice of... Of, of Germany football. How, yeah, how, how dare you? How dare you? No wonder he didn't respond to our emails to get him on the show back during that German game. Nine. The, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the Ballard, if they, if they were drafting top five, all we would be talking about would be firing Chris Ballard. Right? Well, you could am talk I, am about I, am it. I, am I wrong there? Well, you could talk about it, but. I, I I still it's don't still think happen. it would have happened. But but you know what I'm saying? The, convers- yeah, yeah, yeah. the conversation around... I, instead, this team feels like they're on the cusp of something. If they did what that texter said or tweeter said, then we would be talking about multiple guys losing jobs. And and I and I don't mean this to... Listen, this is not a hot take. And you know, Jim Irsay is, is sick right now. We'd be talking about, can could Jim Irsay feasibly make a move sure, if he needed sure. to with Chris Ballard? Instead, we're saying, boy, they're a couple pieces away well, from being a playoff team it's uh it's one of the hard dilemmas that you get around with again like the first year head coach success um you know again if you look at frank reich if you look at chuck pagano both had overwhelmingly successful first seasons those did not all of a sudden mean you were on this linear line pointing forward i I know going up and up Poor drafting poor personnel i think contributed to that uh, if you look at your Giants, if you look at the Vikings from last year, both largely overachieved with first-year head coaches. Your Giants won a playoff game, like you know. Yeah, it, no, but you're spot on. That didn't. So it's weird because again, I do. I like Shane Steichen. I, I I do think Shane Steichen is the right guy, but I also don't think I can stand on top of Monument Circle and say guaranteed twelve wins moving forward. Because I mean, hell, Anthony Richardson played eighteen snaps on the road. Like you just you don't fully know. Um, sure, you're encouraged by it. You're obviously, as a fan, and you've dealt with a lot of losing lately. You're, you know, you love the feelings on the Mondays that you got for the majority of the season, considering your expectations. Um, and the old adage in the NFL, and this is what makes it so difficult to sustain a winner. The Vikings are probably the better example than your Giants. Minnesota, you know, what was their record in one possession games last year? It was insane, right? It was right. like 10 and one, or, you know, something just stupid. If you reverse the Colts, I saw this this year, 
they'd be six and eleven if you reverse the one <laughs> possession games. Right. And, and a lot of people out there, and this is a little deeper analytical thought of one possession games are oftentimes just flat out coin flips. Right. Like well, it's luck. Yeah. If they went your way one year, they'll go against you the next year. Now I would throw in I think Anthony Richardson should help you create more of those opportunities. And they, and, lo- and they lost some of those games. I mean, they lost the Houston went, game. They lost the Cleveland game. Right. So it's not like it was a clean sweep. But they, they won they, more than they lost. They, they did. In the one they possession. Did. Now, let's just boil it down to one play. And it might be unfair to do it, but let's go to Saturday night. And let's go to fourth and one. The fact that, again, I thought when you drafted Richardson, the immediate result you would feel is you'd be more dynamic in short yardage. You would just you would stress the defense more. You'd stress the defense more in the red zone. You'd stress the defense more in short yardage. There's, in my opinion, there's no way that that is the play call with Anthony Richardson at quarterback. I Not agree. Utilizing his dual threat nature. Total agreement. Uh, and again, I have been a guy that has long said, limit not eliminate with Richardson moving forward. There are moments in a game and in a season where you say, screw the injuries, screw the hits. You run here in this situation, and the season is literally on the line. Saturday night would be one of those. So, um, again, I don't think Rex's general thought there of serviceable backup hurts you moving forward. I think you're away from that thought you could have been in this year. I could kind of see where some people would say that for this year. You could make an argument that whatever, nine wins when Minshew starts 13 of those games, it's not great for you moving forward in like whatever, giving the young quarterback quality what reps, you are going to be picking in the middle of round one. I get the draft is a crapshoot. But I think moving forward, the expectation is playoffs, period. I, so I, I that's why you can't that's why So certain, now you can't skimp at backup and say, just go with the young dude spot on. who's got no experience. Spot on. You need the veteran that's been there and can possibly keep the ship afloat. No, uh, Shane Steichen, in fact, can you get that Shane Steichen clip? It's clip eight, Mark. Uh, Steichen said this on Monday. Franklin said it. Jonathan Taylor, a bunch of other players have said it for the Colts. Take a listen. I think we're right there. I think we're right there. And uh, you could see it by the way our guys fought, but every year is a new year. So we got to rebuild it again next year uh, and have that laser focus just every single day. The details, the preparation that we put into it, we got to be all over it. But I do. I think we're right on the cusp of something really special here. So, so what that means to me is you can't win six games next year and say, well, I mean, the year before we won a bunch of 50-50 games and the schedule got right. more difficult. See, we, we agree on that. To me, well, uh, you're, and I also you're don't si- think you can sit on your personnel. Well, I think it's more right. of like the three to four players. Right. I, I guess I, I am... Speed edge rusher, pass catcher, wide out, at least one in the secondary, if not two, maybe. Is there something you think Ballard will say today that will be newsworthy? Like something where we sit in here and say, boy, the beginning of the show, that 7.30 segment, uh, for people that are wondering our most listened to segments, that we will really have to be pounding home. That's a great question. This or that, because, you know, back in August, it was the Jonathan Taylor stuff. Well, why would I give a contract? We won four games last year. And that was kind of the message that reverberated for a couple weeks. Yeah, I mean... He usually, and obviously most GMs are like this, are not extremely black and white when it comes to contract-related questions. But I think you can read into some of his answers. I I do think Ballard shows a little bit of his cards. Um, So, yeah, I don't know if there will be, like, the home run, like, you know, whatever, Anthony Richardson's clear to throw tomorrow, or he's not going to be clear to throw until May. Like, no, I, I don't necessarily think that sort of news item will be there. But I think you walk away from Ballard pressers. 
and I think you get something out of that. I know a lot of people poke fun at the look and the, you know, <laughs> you know, there are certainly a lot of kind of Ballard cliches. I mean, hell, there are cliches that you and I probably say on, on, on a rather daily basis that people get tired of. But I think we'll walk in here and have something. I hope we do. Selfishly. <laughs> walk in like, yeah, I, I'm nothing. Always, we got nothing. And, and smoke for 45 minutes. And then there'll obviously be things is like, wait. I wish some more true serum could be there. Like, sure. The, the the question I said to you about an hour ago of, you know, how much does Shane Steichen's presence influence him? Like, I thought there were times it where... It has to. It has to. I thought there were times where Frank Reich did not demand enough personnel-wise. And I think Shane Steichen, whether it's based off level of respect, might have more of that ear, um, or just history. I mean, look at, Phil, look at what Shane Steichen had in Philly. They drafted Devontae Smith where? 10th? Something like that? 12th? Yeah, it was, I mean, he it was, was top 10, yeah. He was top half of round one. And then they, they still traded for right. A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown, and they had and an elite tight end. that's with Dallas Goddard right. drafted in the second round. That right. was with Miles Sanders drafted in the second round. I mean, that is a who's who with a great offensive line. I mean, that you know that's walking into a five-star restaurant from an ingredient standpoint. You don't have that right now here. In, in yep. Indy. And, of course, you know, Jalen Hurts' college resume is much different than Anthony Richardson. Before we get to our morning check down, again, pop quiz coming up in about seven or eight minutes. I, I just wanted to throw one more thing on, onto that fire. Chris Ballard's, uh, you know, if he keeps this job, and more importantly, if he succeeds at this job, is going to be tied to Shane Steichen. It is. I mean, I, I, we view, do we not, Steichen as a pretty damn smart coach? I mean, don't we? We look around and say, okay, this guy this guy knows what he's doing. He has changed the culture. These guys like him, but they respect him. And for the most part, fans have, outside of the fourth and one call, and if he were to keep Gus Bradley, I think he has hit almost a 100% on what fans think about Shane Steichen. If Steichen can win games and you get guys that fit him, that makes Chris Ballard look like a great GM. And so when you mention Steichen being involved in that process, I hope he's leading that process. Is it Les Snead who is in with the Rams? Yeah. The uh-huh. Rams put out a bunch of did, – did you see in the Puka Nakua stuff? Uh, uh, I, they, I saw some okay. of the headlines, but they did not put, watch they it. They put out a, a video behind the scenes, like a, like a draft. No, they, yeah, draft when, the when they were sitting there saying, "This guy is slow with his forty time, but he plays so fast." And McVeigh sitting there saying, "Oh, I need him." And Snead's in there. We got to get him for you. This guy's perfect for you and what you do. And I'm sure that happens, but it really needs to ha- happen here. And you get those guys for Stike. He's going to win games. That makes Ballard look better. Well, and I think in a smaller way, that's kind of like a bit of a Josh Downs. You know, Josh Downs from a physical height, weight standpoint does not check Chris Ballard's ramifications oh, he's or small. parameters right. for the wideout position. But Shane Steichen comes here and says, no, 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 you know. Compliment. This is a basketball starting lineup. We can, this is not Indiana where you start three six eight dudes and you can't rebound. We need to have some guards that are actually competent and good and can shoot free throws and can hit an open shot. Let's go get Josh Downs. By the way, I think Josh Downs would be Indiana's best guard. He strikes me as a good point guard. Am I is, wrong? Is Xavier Johnson going to get suspended for his uh, shot you need below to walk the belt? Me I'm through. If we have time at the end, by the way, it doesn't look like Xavier Johnson will be. No. Suspended tomorrow night, Minnesota, inside of Assembly Hall. It's a 6.30 tip. If we have time at the end, you got to walk me through this Michigan kid that is being okay, only... I will. Do I have this right? He's being 
only suspended for the road games? <laughs> yeah. How's that work? Oh, yeah, just the road games. Good for, his go- good for his girlfriend, right? <laughs> well, apparently he has, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll dive into it, but Doug McDaniel, who is one of their top players, is suspended, but only for road games, not home games, and it has to do with academics. So what an odd year. As good as Michigan football has been, Michigan basketball, what a complete mess. My God. Do I have this wrong, but wasn't there a player in another sport that due to some sort of, uh, I I don't know if it was like literally, what am I, what am I trying to think of uh, when you wear something on your ankle? because ankle bracelet. The the ankle bracelet. Isn't there more of a technical uh, word for it? House arrest. Yeah, it's house arrest. Like you could only play in your own county. Yeah. So you could play the home games. You know, th- that's what this sounds like. Stay in your zip code, young man. It's not that, based off all accounts. But yeah, we'll we'll, we'll share that here to close things out. The college uh, basketball ankle bracelet. Yeah. No road trips for you. Something along those lines. Uh, pop quiz in a few. 317-239-1070 for that. Uh, let's do a morning check down. The morning check down. On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Yeah, let's uh, let's lead with the Pacers. 112-104 winners last night. Good win to get things going before going on that road trip. Now 22-15 and 15 on the season. Bruce Brown back in the starting lineup. Pretty good last night. 16 points, 9 rebounds, 6 assists in 27 minutes. Rick Carlisle on Brown's impact postgame. We started going to him in the second quarter because Poole, Poole was guarding him. And Poole had started going offensively. And we, wanted to, we wanted to make him work. Bruce got some... Got some Got some good stuff going offensively in the second, carried it over to the third, and in the fourth when they went zone one time, he popped in the middle and popped in a shot. And, you know, he's a dirty work guy. You know, the the boards, charges, loose balls, all that kind of stuff. That's, you know, those kinds of things are, are things that teams he's played for have always been able to bank on. You know, a couple other players I think of note from last night. TJ McConnell, Jordan Wara, not been in the rotation really at all this season. Very important off the bench. Isaiah Jackson continues, I think, a really nice start here. His third NBA season. And Andy, when you talk about Bruce Brown, you talk about Miles Turner, some of these others, they're going to be asked to do more. A lot more. That's the reality of the situation. So how do they look in those bigger roles? You know, last night, Andrew Nemhard and Buddy Heald, they combined to go one of 13. So you had to make up for that. And again, you created a bit of an uglier game, a slower pace. Your defense was there. And I do want to point out, Turner, 18 and 13, when this Indiana team lost to Washington a few weeks ago, I was very disappointed in Turner's effort. Daniel Gafford and a bunch of who, that's mm-hmm. what Washington has in the front court, much better from Turner last night. He should be the best big on the floor in this sort of matchup, and that Jordan wore a dunk on Daniel Gafford. Pray for the Gafford family. I didn't. I didn't see that in the uh, the O drive, Mark. I didn't know if we had that or not. I don't know. I, I didn't see it in there. That was uh, that was the play of the night, wasn't it? Yeah, late in the dunk third on quarter somebody there. like woo, that. Woo, woo. Boy, the, the the I'm sorry, the Wizards. The Wizards roster the Wiz is very thing. random. Very random. Is it not? Oh yeah! Oh my God! Found out seven of eight now for the Pacers. They have one four and one homestand wrapped up. Uh, all right, sticking on the hardwood. Big one for Thad Mata and the Butler Bulldogs last night up in Wisconsin. People do not play at Marquette and win really at all. Butler did that with a huge second half, forty-one to twenty-seven in the second half, erased a pretty significant deficit there 
in the opening stanza. Very important win for your resume. Um, again, Andy, I think it's bigger than the UConn one would have been on Friday. I know UConn is maybe ranked higher, but this one on the road really stands out. If you start to look at a Butler resume, road and neutral-wise, they got a lot of good neutral stuff in the non-conference. This is key as well. They ended a 19-game Marquette home win streak, a 20-game Big East home win streak for Marquette as well. Very balanced for the Bulldogs. They've got Seton Hall coming up uh, Saturday at noon, and if you missed it earlier, we rewarded someone in the opening segment of the show with a four-pack of tickets to Butler and Seton Hall there, so it pays to listen to very early in the show. It does, but it made uh, Mark Titan unhappy. Uh, the first six callers did not know you needed to actually know the names yeah. of the leading scorers. I thought you, this was just a call-in. <laughs> you could simply call in and uh, did not Landon work out. Moore, Pierre Brooks, the leading scorers <laughs> last night. Indeed. Quickly, Indiana State losers 89-78 to Drake last night. Uh, we've talked about that. And then all morning, Nick Saban uh, hanging it up last night. Pete Carroll out there in Seattle in the news that came down at about 7.03 today. That's when Kevin told the city of Indianapolis, Bill Belichick, uh, mutually parting ways of a press conference there in Foxborough. I mean, he As- got fired, right? I mean, <sighs> didn't he tell us all he was under contract on Monday? I want. I want to feel like those two worked it out to where it wasn't mean and nasty on the way out. I think that's what they did. Other Kraft than that, and Belichick I, just I, strike me as those two individuals. I, I, I know. Listen, I'm. But with I you. guess they're having a co-presser yeah. coming up at noon. So, so. we'll see. Uh, now, as for today, Anthony Richardson meeting with the local media here in Indianapolis at eleven o'clock. Chris Ballard at twelve thirty. All Kraft, right. Kraft and Belichick talked it out during a massage, right? Couples massage, <laughs> right? Yeah. Let's let's not throw Coach Belichick into into that room there. Uh, all right. Coming up, it is time for the pop quiz. Through in seven two three nine ten seventy. We're giving away a pair of tickets to the Indy Golf X. Expo coming up here next weekend. Join us. All right, 239-1070. Let's get a winner here. 239-1070. 317-239-1070. Pop quiz coming up here in just a second. But Kevin Bowen has a stat well, for you here. And also a pair of tickets to the Indy Golf Expo Perfect. that we are giving away on the pop quiz. This will appease our executive producer, Todd Meyer, and all of Purdue Faithful out there. <laughs> How about this? Nick Saban's kryptonite. The mu- Tiller's Tunnel. Tiller's Tunnel. The mustache. We're, what's that guy's name that always tweets at us? <laughs> Boiler Bill. Boiler Bill. About He goes at you, which I like. T- oh, he, he, he. <laughs> Usually they go at me, so I like when they go at you. Pride in Tiller's <laughs> Tunnel there. Uh, this is wild. Nick Saban faced Joe Tiller three times, and he lost every single time. Tom Dinard, who we've had on the show, oh, yeah. has this up on On3 with Golden Black here. Tiller is the only college coach to beat Saban three straight times. Now, this was back when Nick Saban was the head coach at Michigan State, of course. Uh, He was there from 95 to 99. And, yeah, how about that? Okay, so am I going to have to be the bad guy here? I mean, it was Saban at Michigan State. So Saban beat Jim Coletto (laughs) in the Boilers in 95 and 96. But when Tiller came calling, (laughs) 97... Game over there. Yeah, he also sent us this. So Todd wanted us to read this. This was on FanDuel. So Tiller, yeah, you have Tiller's 3-0. and Tom Osborne was 2-0. and Again, this is going back to the Michigan. This is unbelievable. Have you noticed How a far lot, back a lot of Michigan to. State here uh, when Izzo, uh, Izzo, goodness, when Saban was there. Hayden Fry had a 2-0 and record. Now Steve Spurrier had a, had, you know, beat him, what, three out of four times. 
Uh, that was LSU and South Carolina beat Alabama back in 2010. Lloyd Carr's three and two. Barry Alvarez was two and one. Tommy Tuberville, congressman, see a senator, congressman, at four and three was uh, Tommy Tuberville there. Obviously, they faced so many times in the Iron Bowl with Auburn. He beat him in 2000, 2002, 2004, 2007. So a lot of LSU wins there for Tommy Tuberville. And also, I want to give a shout out. We haven't done this yet, uh, but our friends over at Big Lug and them contributing a very hefty gift card to Todd, the Good winner job, Todd. of our fantasy, not Todd Meyer, our executive producer, uh, the winner of our fantasy football league. Mark, his team name, Blind Squirrels, yeah. is that correct? Mm hmm. Well, found some nuts in the forest, <laughs> to say the least there. There you go. Uh, a very for him. healthy gift card from our friends at Big Lug. Outstanding locations all around Indianapolis and surrounding area. So, um, yeah, well-deserved there. All right, so we have a full bank of calls here. Uh-huh. You want to be the one? Who, who wants to pick the caller? Uh, KB, you want to do that? Let's go. Let's see. We go to Half Leader, which is on 54th a lot. So let's go Big Lug, obviously. Uh, let's go with number four. Okay. Well, I I assume you can't see the phone bank, but this is also a Kevin. Oh, okay. Kevin. Let's go. Hey, Kevin. Morning, guys. Morning, guys. How you doing? Doing well, Kevin. How are you? I'm good, buddy. It's cold, but it's sunny, so I like it. It is well. Uh, we don't have windows here, so we'll just take your word for it. Uh, I, I assume uh, cold is it is sunny? Correct. Nice. But the sun yeah, is nice good. to know that I will encounter that in a bit. Are you a golf er golf fan? Uh, no, I mean, I've golfed several times, but not regularly, no. Are you going to go to the Expo, or you just called to challenge yourself from a brain standpoint? Well, see if I can challenge myself. I don't know how well I'll do, but Look let's go that. for it. I appreciate that, Kevin. All Kevins out there, thank <laughs> the intelligence of you. Uh, Andy Swinney, you want to lead off? All right, let's go, Kevin. Let's get a winner here on this Thursday. Question number one. Nick Saban retired as head coach of the University of Alabama football yesterday. Where was Saban coaching when he took the Bama job in 2006? Come on, you know this. Was it the Browns? Was it LSU? Was it the Miami Dolphins or Michigan State? I'm going to go with LSU. Wasn't there an issue here of like Drew Brees' shoulder, right? Wasn't that a big deal in free agency? Oh, oh yeah, they took Dante Culpepper yeah, instead uh-huh. of him. Come on, you know who it was. Uh, Where was he? He was in the end. I lost right off the bat. Well, come on, we'll give you a second chance. Remember the press conference. Kevin, do not embarrass our come first on. name like this. Come on now. <laughs> well, if we're talking Culpepper, let's go with the Dolphins. There you let's go. go. There we go. Who did all Saban right, replace right. as the head coach of the Crimson Tide? Is it Gene Stallings, Dennis Francione, Mike DeBose, or Mike Shula? Uh, Gene Stallings. All right, question number three. The Patriots and Bill Belichick reportedly have parted ways. Belichick, the third winningest head coach in NFL history, 302 victories, 266 of those in New England. Who is the only head coach to top the wins list for two different NFL franchises? Is it Tom Coughlin, Andy Reid, Don Shula, or Dan Reeves? Tom Coughlin. All right, number four here on this day in 87, John Elway drove the Broncos 98 yards to score with 37 seconds left in regulation to tie their AFC title game with the Browns in Cleveland. The Broncos would kick a field goal in OT and advance to Super Bowl 21. Who caught Elway's touchdown pass to tie the game? Mark Jackson, Sammy Winder, Sammy Winder, excuse me, Steve Watson, or Brian Brennan? 
that's a tough one there, guys. Uh, let's go with uh, Mark Jackson. Good guess. All right, question number five. Spurs rookie Victor Wembanyama recorded the first triple-double of his career in San Antonio's win at Detroit last night. No surprise, it was against the Pistons. Uh, Victor had 16 points, 12 boards, 10 assists, despite playing just over 21 minutes. Only one NBA player since the advent of the shot clock in the mid-1950s had a triple-double while playing fewer minutes in a game. Was it? Oscar Robertson, Nikola Jokic, Russell Westbrook, David Robinson, the Admiral. Who was it? Big O, the Joker, Russell, David Robinson. Big O, indie guy. Let's go. Big O. Kevin, I love the energy there. Thankfully, the uh, two tickets to the Indy Golf Expo are for participation and not for production on the pop quiz. Uh, Nick Saban before Bama, where was he, Andy? Oh, he was with the Miami Dolphins. Come on, you guys re- you guys remember that? The press conference? Sure. I actually went to a Dolphins-Colts game yeah, back the, in the day, coached the, by Saban. The thought was, what, the Dolphins wouldn't clear, the doctors wouldn't clear the shoulder of Drew Brees. Uh, Brees goes, and he goes to Sean Payne there in New Orleans. Dante Culpepper goes to Miami, and the rest is history. Uh, Mark Jackson from John Elway, and that was it, right, boys? Yeah, number two, he followed, what, Mike Shula? He got that that one wrong. He said Gene Stallings in question number three. It's Andy Reid. Andy Reid has uh, the most wins for two different franchises, the Eagles and the Chiefs. He went with Tom Coughlin, which isn't bad, but no one's going to get who the Giants head coach record setter is. No one's going to get that. So I understand why he went with Coughlin. Russell Westbrook there to close things out. Mark, you said Andy Reid, now the oldest head coach in the NFL? Uh, Unless Belichick gets a new gig, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Longest tenured would be what? Oh, Tom- Pete Carroll's not getting another job, Scotty. Tomlin then Harbaugh <laughs> for longest tenured? Yeah, go. Oh, yeah. Yes. yes. I yeah, th- that's how those would be the ones. I think the- Who's third on that list? Ooh. I believe it's John Harbaugh at 60. No, no, no. Third. Tomlin Harbaugh. Longest tenured oh, at their current spot. I think it's got to be Andy Reid. Andy Reid, the Chiefs. Point. Yeah. That's that would over make a sense. decade. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm no I'm one just, else. I'm looking down. Out. I'm looking down the NFL here. That no one else is jumping out. Where I'm like, okay, it's got to be that guy. Yeah, I mean, there have been murmurings that you know Andy Reid could be towards the end. Murmurings that Tomlin could want to go make a bunch of money in TV for a little while. How, I don't know. How old is Tomlin? I, I mean, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. He's what late fifties at this point. Is mid, he even that? In mid to late fifties. Yeah, I, I don't know. And then you know you have Mike McCarthy and Nick Sirianni. If those guys. You know, if those guys kind of fizzle out, would they Tomlin's be only on 51. the hot seat? Wow, he's only 51? I thought he's like 57. That job's making him look old. <laughs> Steelers Bills coming up tomorrow. Uh, all right, t- tomorrow coming up on Sunday. All right, we'll do it one final time here. Wake up call. KB and Andy. Yeah, reminder, busy day here at the fan. We'll have all the sound coming up. Anthony Richardson uh, meeting with the media at 11 o'clock. Chris Ballard meeting with the media coming up at 1230. So we'll have that covered for you. Obviously, we'll be recapping, playing a bunch of sound uh, with that tomorrow. So that will be a lot of fun. You miss any of our shows, 1075thefan.com. Query and company at noon, JMV at 3 o'clock. Now, KB, you and Scotty were... Passing a laptop back and forth here. So you had a stat you wanted to throw out about Boy, Sean McVay. wild. Yeah, we were uh, talking about on the pop quiz and after of, okay, longest tenured coaches now in the NFL with the Belichick, you know, Pete Carroll news. Uh, you know, Mike Tomlin, John Harbaugh, top the list. Andy Reid also up there. 
Um, and shout out, I forget, who was that in the YouTube chat, Mark? I first saw this. This is Charlie. Yeah, I think it was Charlie in the YouTube chat said, uh, he is the youngest head coach in the NFL. That would be Sean McVay. And he's also the fourth longest tenured head coach. Yeah. He's been at the helm since 2017. Now you have others, Sean McDermott, Kyle Shanahan, hired in that cycle. Uh, But Sean McVay continues to be, even with the D'Amico Ryans, the Shane Steichen, the Nick Sirianni hires, continues to be the youngest head coach in the NFL. And yet, at what is that, seven years he's been the head coach? That is the longest tenure, or the fourth longest tenured head coach in the league. And he and his wife just had a kid this year, and he made the playoffs. And Did I they think really? He, and I think he's going to win a playoff game. How about that? Are they the best bet to win on oh, the road this goodness. weekend? On the road this weekend? I don't know. What about Philly? Do you not believe in Philly at all? You think Philly's just done? Would you rather take the Rams or take the Eagles? If I give you a money line choice on one or the other. Uh, I would... Boy, I tell you what, I would still probably go with the Eagles. I know. I don't know why I'm buying into it, but I think the Rams do win because it sets up so perfectly, does it not, that finally the Lions get their big playoff game at home. They win the division you know, for the first time in however many decades. And who walks in? Their former quarterback, and Matthew Stafford, and the Rams are playing some of the better football of anyone in the entire NFL. That Lions defense outside of Aiden Hutchinson stinks too, by the way. It's not very good. Detroit's favored by three in that game, KB. Three. That will be the Sunday night affair again Saturday. It'll be the Texans and Browns getting things started. I actually am looking forward to that quarterback matchup, CJ Stroud and Joe Flacco. That's oh, a great weekend. Uh, then at night, that'll be the Peacocker. Uh, that'll be Chiefs and Dolphins from a freezing arrowhead. Speaking of freezing and windy, this might actually play into the hands of the Steelers. The wind gusts in Buffalo on Sunday afternoon are supposed to be crazy high. You would think that helps the Steelers. Uh, certainly doesn't help Josh Allen in throwing it. Uh, that'll be the 1 o'clock game. That's the biggest spread. Ten and a half last I saw. Bill's favorite mm-hmm. in that one. Uh, then you're going to have Cowboys and Packers at 4. And the nightcap, as we said, will be Lions and Rams, and then the Monday nighter. What a weekend! Eagles and Bucks. I was telling Scotty during the break. You know, the only thing about it is you're so used to the red zone. How do you watch one NFL game without having seven others uh, that you can go to on the red zone? But it's going to be a fantastic weekend. I wanted to bring up these two stories, and we kind of did uh, on the way out. But Doug McDaniel, who is you know probably the best player, one of the best players on Michigan's basketball team, news came out last night, and he even tweeted about it. I believe he since I think deleted it Uh, because of academic standards he is suspended but for road games only Kevin so that means whenever Michigan plays home basketball games McDaniel will be able to play but when they go on the road you know if they go to Ohio State or they go to Minnesota they won't be able to play they are at Purdue in the in this stretch Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So, yeah. They road games all over the place. So it's they have had an odd year. Juwan Howard, I don't think, is going to be the head coach there uh, too long. And then the other story, Netflix is doing an NBA documentary. Did you see this? Yeah. Uh, much like their quarterback ones. You know, they followed around, what was it, Mahomes and Kirk Cousins and Marcus Mariota and some different guys. They're doing one for the NBA. And the five players they picked, LeBron, Tatum, Butler, Edwards, that's Anthony Edwards, and your boy Sabonis in Sacramento. Those are the five players they've picked. And I guess to make it local, I'd love if they did a season two or a season three. Perhaps someone like Tyrese Halliburton would be picked to be followed around. I don't know if fans would want that. Selfishly for us in the media, I would. I love the NFL one, and I, I think the NBA one just from a life standpoint. Would be cool. I mean, all, all the travel, obviously getting ready for those games. So 
Uh, thank you, Scott Agnes. We'll have a lot up on the podcast, and we'll close things out. Recapping Chris Bauer and Anthony Richardson tomorrow. Everybody have a great Thursday.